<laughs> Just trying to figure out what to do with this. <clears throat> They? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Just thinking, if you could move in a little bit more so we can ideally see each other. So... Oh. <laughs> we have to do a little bit back and forth and, yeah. I think that, yeah, does that work? Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, the last name Singer. Singer. You need to sign it. <laughs> you got your CD for you. Okay. Um, and let's start. I'm um, welcome uh, you all here, and I welcome myself here into the space, um, all of us together for our day together, um, in which we want to explore more how wisdom and compassion, how they interplay, what they are, and how we can live them more and experience them more so that they really become embodied practices and not just like theories or philosophies that we think about. Because I think those two qualities are really like the core qualities of our, definitely like my spiritual practice, I don't know if you will call it your spiritual practice or if it's really just how to live your life regardless of what you call it. I think in the end it doesn't matter so much, but it's really more like what does it feel like, how does it matter in our lives. And um, so with that, I would just like to start with a um, very short um, arriving meditation. Do we have anybody here who is new to meditation? All right, welcome, welcome. All right, so you just follow along, and uh, you can't get this wrong, so that's (laughs) important. (laughs) So just finding a comfortable posture. And if that works for you, um, putting your feet on the floor... If you have a hard time getting your feet on the floor, um, like to put a cushion under your feet can be helpful, so you actually feel something under your feet. You need a cushion over there. Looks like I'll get you one here. <laughs> sure. Anybody else? All right. Let's see. We have. 
Anybody else? Cushion? So we have a ton of more equipment, um, even if it's not in the room. So we have next door, so please don't be shy. <laughs> okay, so feet on the floor. If it feels comfortable, you can close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes if you just want to lower the gaze. So we just don't want to kind of look around because that gives us like more input from the outside. And right now we just want to turn the attention inside. And just starting by feeling the feet. Just bringing the awareness to the feet right now and noticing whatever you feel here under your feet. It might be soft if your feet are on a cushion. It might be like semi-soft if you have like a mat under your feet. It might be hard if it's just the floor, the wooden floor. Maybe you're wearing shoes and you feel the soles of your shoes. And then just bringing awareness to where the legs are in contact with the chair, legs and the buttocks. And then the back, your back against the back of the chair, if that is, if those two are in contact. Just feeling here into those areas of contact. And seeing if it's possible right now to just let the ground and the chair do their job by holding and supporting the body. So there's actually nothing you need to do right now. So as much as that is possible in this moment, just seeing if you can just let go. Unwind, be here. Now bringing attention to your hands. So just seeing if you can get a sense of your hands right now and noticing what they're in contact with, maybe the other hand or your thighs or a book. Maybe your forearms are resting. And just notice that the attention 
will go to different places, maybe to sounds in the room or remembering something and you can just bring the attention back to the hands and the forearms right now. Now bringing attention to the breath. So finding the sensations of the breath in the body. If you like, you can just deepen and lengthen the breath just for a few rounds. can make it easier to actually connect with the breath. Really noticing where you feel the breath. If you can feel it in the chest or even in the belly. There's nothing to achieve here. It's just paying attention to what's already here. And then just allowing the breath to just flow naturally and resting the awareness just with the body or the breath, so whatever comes the most naturally for you. And really noticing how you can redirect the attention. Of course, the attention will go to sounds in the room. And then you can come back to actually feeling the body and the breath. And now I want to invite us all into a brief reflection on why are we actually here? 
So if you're a visual person, you could imagine just dropping like a question like that, like, why am I here? And I'll ask a couple more questions. See if you were dropping that into like a pebble into a well, or that question into the well of your mind or your consciousness. And when we do that, then there is like this first splash. And then the pebble sinks deeper and might make other waves. Why are you here today? What brought you here? What is your intention for the day? And then maybe asking the question of what is maybe like a deeper question or longing that got stirred when you maybe read the description of this day long, the title. Maybe you just had this day that you could clear You could come out here to practice, but why? So taking time you need to end this meditation to transition. (laughs) So, oh, we have some more people. (laughs) 
you have enough space there, I'm also thinking like we could also move this part a little bit more in so we have, could have some more chairs behind there. Yeah, okay. So let's just take care of that for a moment. Looks like we should have taken this out here <laughs> to have enough space today. <clears throat> or maybe what we need to do, we need to sit on the stage so we can see back here. Uh, we'll see. Okay, is that okay for everybody there? Yeah? Okay, welcome. <laughs> um, so... Um, just a few words about logistics. So obviously, like this is a, um, a small room for that many people in here. Um, so thank you for uh, working with that. Um, they always have to decide like who is going in which room, depending on how many people sign up. And I don't actually know like what their exact numbers numbers are for cut off for this particular room. And so if you really feel that this is, at the end of the day, that this was way too cramped, then just give them that as feedback so that they know to maybe cap it a little bit lower. Or you say like, oh, let's just pile everybody in because it's just wonderful that more people have the chance to actually be here and practice together. Um, So logistic-wise, so how many of you are here first time at Spirit Walk? Okay, all right, quite a number of you. Okay, so here's how this works, or at least like uh, this day today. Um, So we will be alternating, we'll do some meditation practices, some time will be spent in silence, some will be spent in sharing with each other, small groups, big groups, that's the format for this particular day. We have a lunch break from 12.30 to 1.30, which you could decide to spend in silence, but you don't have to, so that's up to you. Um, I'll say more about that as we're getting closer to that. Um, what's really important here is, for me, this practice has a lot, love, has a lot to do with self-love and self-care. So um, the chair might not be comfortable for you, or you might have a chronic condition or just that just gets, gets exacerbated by sitting on it for a longer period of time. So please take care of yourself. Totally fine for you to stand, to lie down, to um, really take care of yourself. If you need to move the body in between, that's totally fine too. So we have... A few mats here. We have some yoga mats, cushions, blankets back here, back jacks. If you just 
feel like you want to sit on the floor, you could do that too. We also have more of everything in the even smaller room across from here. Um, so for later, uh, for different meditations, if you need more equipment, you can get that there. Um, yeah, and you know where the bathrooms are and all of this, I think. Any other logistical questions from your end for today? Yes. Are there any breaks on either side? Now? There are. <clears throat> the, no. So the uh, what we're going to do is we'll uh, alternate practicing in here with walking meditation. So, if, like for bathroom breaks or something, you have that in between. And in the afternoon, I don't have the entire afternoon completely mapped out yet because that depends a little bit on like what we're doing here, what comes out of this morning. So there might be a break or there might be another walking period. So, But yeah, I'll try to not have you <laughs> be in here um, with one activity for too long. Thank you. Yeah, anything else? Okay, so then I'll just start say a few words about like why I am here, or what my intention is for the day. Um, so I'm. Um, yeah, see, that's uh, problem already starts with that. Um, what I, what do I identify with? It's so interesting, right? Because I don't know about you, but I can identify with many different ways, and I can introduce myself this way or this way or this way or this way, depending kind of on how I'm feeling or the kind of effect that I want to have on you, right? And then some of the identities I might like more, like my better, less. So it's just interesting. So I'm obviously, I'm a teacher here. I was trained here at Spirit Rock to be a Dharma teacher. I don't live uh, locally, so I'm from Los Angeles. And um, so I fly up here and I try to do like these events when I have another event here. So I'll be teaching the whole week here this week um, for uh, starting Monday, uh, tomorrow. So that it's always nice to tag that on. And my colleague, Bob Stahl, I will be teaching with him. He teaches downstairs today. And we had to kind of negotiate a little bit. So who's teaching what? Because the whole week we will be teaching about embodied practices. So um, that's kind of um, what we love to teach. <clears throat> and so my background is um, I was trained as a gynecologist, but I haven't <clears throat> worked in that profession um, since we moved to the U.S. Uh, 15 years ago, um, and how from Germany, you might hear that my accent is German, um, and my, I'm doing this full-time now. I'm teaching mindfulness full-time now, I teach Dharma full-time, and I, what I do is a lot, I teach secular mindfulness, because that just makes a lot of sense with a medical background to train clinicians to bring that to whatever populations they're working with. So I work a lot at the VA, training the clinicians there to bring this to the veterans. And that's very gratifying. And at the same time, it's also, for me, missing the opportunity to uh, teach Buddhism um, the way I just love, because that is my own heart practice. So I will often just move between teaching about Buddhism, because for me... <clears throat> It's really just the Buddha just had a lot of insight into how the heart and the mind works. And it's not so much about a religion. I mean, it's my personal spiritual path, but I'm not expecting anybody to 
take that on. But I love when people are open to just consider the teachings of the Buddha as something that is really applicable for, for their life. So that's kind of my, my uh, philosophy. And then for me, really, um, so I have three children. I work full-time. Um, I, I'm a runner. I'm a dancer. Um, so I love moving. And I, so I live a very, very full life. And I left the life of academics because it was getting too dry and too boring. I mean, that's part of like why I didn't want to... Um, like do like the whole like publishing and doing research anymore, because it really felt there is was often a discrepancy between um, like the theory and then how does that actually apply to our lives, and um, just living a full life. I mean, like um, many of you. Oh, we I think we need one more chair. Thank you. Um, <laughs> many of you know that John Kabat-Zinn wrote a book called Full Catastrophe Living, and that this book title really comes from like a, a quote from the movie um, Zorba the Greek. And it, like he's asked at some point, well, well, do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Do you, do you work? And he said, yeah, the full catastrophe. <laughs> and of course, what he means by it, he didn't mean like it's horrible like to have like family or have work life, but what he meant is just like, no, everything. Everything, right? I'm not living a hermit's life. I'm just living everything, and that is my practice. And for me, that is my practice. And I hope that this is something that speaks to you, and this is really what I want to weave into this day, that why wisdom and compassion are important to me is really the application in my everyday life as I show up as a teacher and as a mom and as a wife and as a sister and as a... I mean, like all these these uh, other different different roles that I have, and I want to explore together with you. Um, so, how can you apply that to your life, regardless of what's going on? Because one thing that I really see more and more clearly is that it's hard to interact with that crazy life out there, this crazy world, right? So, what do we have? Like, what are our tools to actually to attend to this, to this tender heart that is easily hurt and very sensitive without just like walling off and numbing out completely, right? But not, um, but still to be able to attend the need out there, but not to overcommit and not to overspend and not to overgive. So it's, it's a lot about like this, um, I don't know, this elusive idea of balance, I think. So what I would like to um, start with is just for a moment, um, have you turned to two people and just for a few minutes, maybe like three minutes each, share with your small group what came up for you in the reflection of why are you here, why today, why this day, and why these topics of wisdom and compassion are interesting to you. And of course, you just share what feels comfortable. And can we all agree on that? Whatever is shared in here is confidential. Yes? Yes? And also, can we agree on that um, this is really about your own experience here? So... We're not here to, nobody needs to be fixed, 
That's another really beautiful thing about this teaching. Just we don't think there's something wrong with you. You don't need to be fixed. And that a lot of healing, and we'll explore this more during the day, actually comes from being seen, being heard, and being listened to from another person and eventually also by ourselves. So that's something that we're learning. And again, so no advice giving if possible, (laughs) no fixing, which is also really nice because that also lets you off the hook of thinking like, I have to make you happy, right? (laughs) Or I have to fix that for you, which that is often really hard to to sit with. Okay, so... um, yeah, please find two people. If you don't want to do this, of course, this is you can also just let people know that. If you just want to sit quietly, of course, that's also t- completely fine. And I ring a bell when you have like two minutes left so you know to take turns.
So just take another minute or so, make sure everybody has shared in your group. your mom yeah. okay <laughs> oh hi oh my boyfriend and his mom are over there you're kidding oh wow <laughs> fantastic thank yeah. you I talk so much about like <clears throat> oh my gosh <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Okay, so let's come back and 
I think we have a handheld mic somewhere. Oh, you have that back there. Okay. So um, I'd love to hear. So first of all, we go into, so we have a few people just share um, like why you're here and what you hope to get from this day. But before that, how many of you are healthcare professionals? We have some. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Uh, caregivers? Any sort? Children? Parents? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So I just then I know how to weave a little bit more in about that. Okay. So can we have a few people who would like to just share a little bit, um, just briefly, please? Um, about, like, yeah, why you're here and what you hope from this day. You got to talk, but remember, like, I actually haven't heard anything, so. <laughs> yes, please. And then also you can say your name when you're speaking before. Yeah. Oh, I get a mic. Hi, everybody. I'm Thea. And my two sons are tween teen, and I'm starting to have the taste of empty nest and getting to re-look at myself as an individual, and I've gained a lot of compassion for being a mom of boys and recognizing who I am now as a result of being a mother and embracing that with the wisdom and moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias. Um, This is a birthday gift for me. My birthday is Tuesday. And I was very clear, especially after a significant health challenge this summer, that I wanted to be very intentional about my year coming up. And learning at a deeper level. I feel I'm pretty good around the self-compassion and self-love, but... um, this health piece really shook me up. And so I'm really excited to be here and to mm-hmm. learn from you and from all of you. And um, it's just a beautiful day. Mm, wonderful. Thank you. Oh, hi. My name is Amari. <laughs> like Calamari. Uh, hi, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm from Portland. Um, and um, I, uh, I work in environmental policy and forest policy. And with all the fires and everything that's going on, it's a pretty intense time right now. So um, trying to make a, a devise a, you know, a policy proposal for the state. Uh, and coming from a very good place, I think, of compassion. But what I'm noticing is just it's really, really putting a lot of stress and a lot of pain in me. Yeah. And so I'm yeah. trying to reframe the challenge as to not just simply doing this work project, but doing this work project from a place of self-kindness and compassion yeah. um, so that it doesn't burn me out, which mm. is, is feeling like it's going to burn me out at, at this moment. So. With the fires, right? The irony of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank trying you. Trying to do things a little bit differently. Thank you. What Matt, right? Is here? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Like one or two more. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Lindsay. I'm from Sacramento. Um, uh, on the surface level, my therapist, I kept telling him I was going to come to Spirit Rock and, like, not doing it. And so the last time he kind of, like, scoffed at me, and I was like, oh, well, now I have to go. So I signed up immediately, <laughs> and I signed up for this one, and I didn't really even, like, it wasn't like, oh, I wanted this topic, but kind of my the theme of recently is, like, I've had a huge lack of self-compassion and, like, just constantly beating myself up all the time for all the decisions that I've made in my life and all the mistakes I've made and, like, feeling like I'm not really doing anything, like, right, I guess. And so even in meditation, too, just, like, I must be doing something wrong here. So just came here to try and get some clarity and to expand my practice a little bit. Um, That's it. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, I'm Susan, and just listening to her, I wanted to say I'm 73, and every day I work on self-compassion and compassion. Mm. I think we're harder on ourselves than Mm. we are on Mm. most anybody else, although we do have critical mind, too, so, Mm. you know, being the critic. So Mm -hmm. being aware, thinking about it, and not getting judgmental about it things we work on Mm. continuously and to come here and there's an openness and beauty here and a feeling I mean you just come in the room and you just go Mm. so I just kind of chose today I was supposed to come yesterday and I couldn't come (laughs) and I said you know I'm going to go over to Spirit Rock today and I looked and I said oh I'll take that class beautiful yeah (laughs) thank you yeah thank you thank you Yeah, so um, what I would like to do is this morning just talk briefly and then we'll have mostly a silent inward practice until lunch and then in the afternoon like we're expanding it more out and do a little bit more work with each other. At least that's my plan. I'm also known to just throw plans out of the window, right? So it's like that's my motto, like come prepared and be ready to let all of that go if that doesn't fit what's in the room. And one thing, one kind of philosophy that is behind that is um, like we have a saying that uh, it says trust emergence, And um, I love that. And it's a challenge and it's scary and it is, it's a deep practice and often it's it's just wonderful because all that it requires is that of course we do the work, we do the preparation, but we trust that we will know in the moment what is needed. And that is really, for me, a lot of the core of mindfulness practice. It's just trusting that if I'm present, if I'm open, and if I keep practicing and come with this intention to just show up and be here, that I will know what to do next. Right, And so that is, um, again, can be very scary for all like the planners and perfectionists amongst us. And I'm really working on um, letting like my <laughs> my schedule a little bit more loose and so and not thinking that I come un, unprepared or underprepared. Because here's the thing, right? That 
It might feel like, oh, I don't have it mapped out to the last minute, but actually what comes in the room is my entire life and my entire practice. And that is true for you too, right? Whatever you're bringing to the moment is not just your paper of what you think is needed in this particular situation, but your entire life experience. And then I think sometimes like there's also an element to it which you might or might not believe in, it's there's also something that is or can be quite mystical about the experience of the moment. So sometimes it feels like if we're really showing up and are open, then something can arise that really feels like, wow, where did that come from? And I could not possibly plan that. And I think even if I would plan that, I would, I couldn't plan it, but if I would stick with my plan... I would not be open to that and I would miss that, right? So often it feels, I don't know about your life, but often I feel like the sparkles or the wow moments, I did not plan those. (laughs) I didn't have them on the schedule for my day, right? They just like fly by and they go, wow, wow. And I want to be open to more of those moments, right? Because especially if life feels a little bit like we're in the rut or the treadmill or whatever, right? I think we really need that because that is heart juice that that keeps us going. Just to be open to awe and wonder and maybe like the possibility of mystery, which can really get completely lost with our big workloads and responsibilities and things we think we need to do or who we need to be. So, trusting emergence. Um, so, the so the title of our day today. So, the two wings of a bird. That is actually that is a um, a quote from like the classical Buddhist teachings, like. I don't know if the Buddha actually said that, who knows? I mean, like, do we really know what the Buddha said? I mean, come on, right? (laughs) Uh, First 500 years of oral tradition, who knows how much of what we get today is actually, now he said that verbatim, right? And it has been translated into several different languages, and we know the uh, the trouble with translation, or I know this. I'm not a native speaker, an English, native English speaker, so I know the trouble with translations, and things get really lost, right? So if we're just taking like the um, like the first mark of existence, or we take the like the first noble truth, like if we translate that as life is suffering, right? That has so many connotations, and I don't think that is what the Buddha actually said, right? So to translate like what we tra- the the word dukkha into suffering, that has a lot of limitations, and that will close a lot of people out to go like, no, that's not doesn't resonate. So to just to keep that in mind, also about things, everything that I say today, to really say that, right, do I have a better translation for that? Is there maybe a different word that works better for me, right? And it has to make sense to you. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to me. If it doesn't make sense to you, what's the point, right? So, and that, of course, requires of you to, to really listen and to go like, huh, does... Right, so to actually stay active and engaged, and not just be a recipient of like that I'm like um, 
giving like wisdom or knowledge to you, right? This is not like that typical classroom, but it really requires you to, to be here with all of what you are. So this image of a great bird, right? So like obviously like a bird needs two wings to fly. If it just has one wing, it doesn't fly. So um, then when the teaching is that like wisdom and compassion is what keeps the whole thing afloat, right? Then we have to pay attention to that because that is something a bird needs to fly, right? And so if these are like the core elements of the practice, I think we really have to look, so what's the problem if we're just having one wing, if we're just having the wisdom wing, or if we just have the compassion wing? And um, for those of you who have been, and uh, it's nice to see a number of people in the room who I've known for years, um, and some a little bit shorter, um, but you've heard me talk about, I love the idea of a continuum. I think like pretty much everything is on a continuum, right? And I'm not even sure if it has a starting point and an ending point, but all of the time we're moving in between, like, and with all, like, sometimes there might be more wisdom, sometimes there's less, sometimes there's more compassion, sometimes there's less. And then we can see, and then maybe that's because, like, I don't know if my mind worked like that before, but uh, as a... As a physician, I like scales, right? So like the Likert scale, like the pain, like from zero to 10, so where you now, right? And then it actually is meaningful to me if you say like, oh, my pain is not a seven today, but it's a four. I go like, yes. And for you, that doesn't, maybe it doesn't make sense at all. And you have a different way to translate that into meaning for you, right? So, but what we want is to see like, so... Where do we need wisdom and where do we need compassion to be that this bird can fly? And then we have to, of course, think about like what do we actually mean by flying, right? And by flying, I think what or comes back to what I said earlier, it's, it's about balance, right? A bird can only, a bird or an airplane can only fly if they're in balance. And then what does that mean, balance? What is balance? Is balance always the same? No, it depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? Right? When there's more wind, right, the balance is different than when there is no wind. It depends on whether it's hot or whether it's cold. So that means like our practice happens, right? So the balance needs to be very flexible and has to move back and forth. So in some situation it feels like we need more wisdom and we need to scale the compassion down a little bit more. In others it's a little bit more like this. Right? So you see it's really an alive practice. And that comes back to our practicing what we call mindfulness. Mindfulness or just awareness in the present moment. We can only decide what is the right thing to do, what is the right balance, when we're actually checking in and saying, like, what's needed right now? Not what did I think would be needed this morning or last week or last year, right? So coming back to really this flexibility and trusting emergence. So that means we need to be scaled in and really feel what is needed in this moment, right? And then, of course, we have to have some tools to know. So if I know there needs to be more wisdom or it needs to be more or less compassion, so how am I actually achieving that? Or how am I inviting that? I'm trying not to use the word how am I doing that (laughs) because we get so much in trouble with the word doing, right? Because then it feels like, oh, I can do compassion or I can do wisdom. 
And I don't think that's the case. Does that feel like you can do compassion? Can you, can you make yourself be compassionate? <laughs> it's just a tricky question, right? Sometimes it feels like, well, compassion does me, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So what, I'm, what I mean with the doing um, is this idea that I can, I have full control over this, the arising or the uh, dissolving of whatever. And I don't know about you, but I don't have that. So I can just invite, I can invite, just a second, I can invite situation. I mean, I can invite, uh, I can set intentions, right? I can try to be open, but then I can't make compassion arise. So I really like, for that, I really like more the idea of like, I, what I can do is set an intention, and setting an intention is like opening a door, Right, which is important when we want to invite something in to actually open the door, but we can't make compassion come in. We can just make it more likely that it will come in. Do you have a question? Yeah. You said it as soon as I thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's trusting emergence, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can you hear, or do you need a mic? Is it okay? Let's let's try. Yeah. So, um, in the corporate world, where we're trying to change how people do things, and really we want to change how people think about things, mm-hmm. we often have found it's easier to um, act your way into a new way of thinking rather than act your way into a new way of acting. Mm-hmm. So I think you can act compassionately if you're not feeling it in the moment. Yes. Yes. Maybe it gets you halfway there. Yes. Yes, yes. And there's definitely some um, some merit in the, like, um, fake it till you make it, right? So sometimes we just have to go through the motions, but to do that very deliberately, right? And a lot of people, with, especially, like, with compassion or loving-kindness practice in the beginning, feel that way because that can be so foreign as some, or, like, self-compassion, Right? So does that mean because we can't feel it, we can't practice it? No. Right? It's just like this rubbing against um, yeah, what we think how it look, should look like. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, um, the core foundation of all of these practices is mindfulness and as we have also some people who are new to this in the room I will just um, give the definition of mindfulness that I like the best John Kabat-Zinn so I'm also an MBSR teacher and MBSR teacher trainer (laughs) there are other definitions out there right so I'm not saying like that this is the only one but it's it's um, quite succinct and I like his brain, (laughs) and I also like his practice. Um, So he says, so mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention on purpose, moment by moment, and non-judgmentally. Right? So it's, um, mm -hmm. so mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention 
on purpose. So that's the intention. Actually, I do want to be aware. I do want to be present in the moment. Moment by moment, that's really important, right? It's, it's a good thing um, because we cannot um, decide to pay attention. Like, like if I would ask you, I don't want to... Like for those of you who have been doing this, you know it's like hard to even pay attention to like for one minute without the mind wandering off, right? So we usually are pretty good to direct attention, right? So when I say right now, can you feel your left hand? Can you put your attention to your left hand? Can you all do that? That's usually pretty easy, right? So if I now say like now keep your attention there like for the next minute, right? So you might be able to force yourself to do that, like, like right? Um, but then when I say, like, let's do two minutes, <laughs> let's do three, right? At some point, the mind goes like, whatever, right? And then the mind, because the mind is thinking, and it's easily distracted, and it goes all over. So we're, we're good with the aiming part of the mindfulness. We're not good with the sustaining part. And I have to say, very humbly, like even after practicing this for like over 25 years at this point, is um, I've gotten better with the sustaining part. I'm far from, I mean, I don't even think there is perfection because that's just the brain that we're up to, up against, right? So the brain is thinking, that's just what the brain does. But you come more to terms with that the mind will wander and not be so upset about it. So whenever you notice that, you go like, oh, well. And then you bring it back. And you will do that often like many, many, many times. And this is coming back to the moment by moment. So we can't decide I will be mindful happily ever after (laughs) from now on. So that's not how it works. Well, it's moment by moment, right? And that is actually really beautiful because that means there's nothing wrong with you if your mind wanders. Again, you have a brain. That's what the brain does. And your job is like, can you renew your intention to come back? What is it like now? What is it like now? What is it like now? And I just, um, I was, um, I spent the summer in Germany and um, I, I come from Berlin and there is a, a house and like a, an art house that has a lot of very rich history. It's called the Tacheles. For those of you who know a little bit Yiddish, you know that it's a Yiddish word for meaning like speaking the truth. And or saying as it is, and it has like this huge painting on one wall that says, "How long is now?" And I just love that, right? Ha! Huh, that really got my attention. How long is now? I mean, it doesn't make sense, but like it's definitely like for my mind, it's definitely like a thought stopper going like, "Wait, how long is now?" <laughs> That's kind of a contradiction, but it's always now. It's always now, and we forget that. And there is something very beautiful and very simple about this, right? Because no matter what's going on, no matter how crazy it is in here, it's always now. And we can always come back to this moment. And what happens when we actually come back to this moment and step out of the chatter of the mind, of what we call like the rehashing or the rehearsing, Right, so that's what the mind usually do, does. It's really good at it, right? Have you noticed that? Really good at rehashing something, really good at rehearsing something. Usually it's 
likes thinking about something stressful. I mean, it's very well intended because it wants you to be safe, right? So it makes sure that you learn from your past and that you're, right, that you don't get into trouble in the future. But it leaves you often like with a sense of um, stress in the present moment, right? So if you're thinking about that right now, right, right now, this is your life. I mean, just play with that for a second, right? So if right now I would take away your capacity to remember the past or anticipate the future. Let's just imagine that. Like I had a magic wand or scalpel. No, missed that. <laughs> Something just like, or switch button, whatever, right? And um, I would take that away. So let's just take a moment and feel into that. So if you really just had this moment. If there was no past and no future, what would life be like right now? Everything that you that's going on at home or outside this room right now is not there. So right now, so how would life be if you just had this moment? Some people want to say what this would be like. A relief? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't like it. I didn't like it because it's like, am I going to be in this room forever? <laughs> no, that's a thought about the future. Okay. <laughs> just now. You're just here. That's it. How would that be? That would be okay? But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting, right? There's the brain, right? It's insidious. just like... Yes, yes, please. Um, it feels very safe. It feels safe, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, thank you, yeah. It's very, very multi-sensory. Okay, multi-sensory. So many more things to pay attention. Oh, right, yeah, right. So when you, when you stop being engaged in the past or the future, you go like, oh, actually, like, what's the temperature in the room, right? Or they're like, what do you see, what do you smell? Yeah, thank you. So that suddenly becomes more acute, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, right? <laughs> yes. So easy. So easy, yeah. There's so much to worry about and think about. Uh-huh. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. But oh my God, it's so easy. Right? Yeah. 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 Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Peaceful. Peaceful? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, freedom. freedom. Mhm. 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 Appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So where was all of that before? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
So this is, I mean, this is one of the ways how mindfulness can really help in this moment. And now, of course, the mind will kick in and say, like, what about, I have to, like, whatever, uh, do all these things, take care of this, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, no, right now you actually don't. Is that true? I mean, am I lying to you? Do you have to take care of all these things right now? No. Right? So that could be an invitation for you to allow yourself more of these moments where actually you don't have to be so loyal to like the past and the future like package or baggage that we're carrying around, right? And say so, like, right now I'm just here, right? And then I'm sure like some people are here who have pain, right? So that's definitely here or there might be sadness or there might be whatever. But if we could take away the story from that too, just for a moment, right? If that didn't have the pain that you're having, if that didn't have the past story or the anticipatory future story, right for now, if it was just that, it was just a moment of pain or discomfort or intensity in the body or just a moment of sadness, could you, how could you hold that in a different way? If you didn't have to, right? So we're carrying so much around with us. And this is really comes back to, this is, I think, actually, this is, a, this is part of the, both the wisdom and the compassion practice. Because so we're thinking so, like, like, I was thinking like, oh yeah, I'm sitting here and giving you a definition of wisdom. And I'm thinking like, oh no, I'm not. <laughs> right? I mean, like, this is just, it feels like that thousands of years of philosophy and thinkers are weighing down on that question. So what actually is wisdom, right? But then it's more important, so what is wisdom for you? So one definition that we're having is that we're saying, so wisdom is seeing things as they are. And coming to terms with things as they are, but not in a defeated way. So that doesn't mean that you give up trying to change something, right? But you do it with a different, with a different motor behind you. And a motor that is not so exhausting and not killing you slowly. Or maybe not so slowly. <laughs> and that is, that is a um, dichotomy that we, we, that's, that's really worth exploring. Because that's a fear that many people have, is when they, when they start mindfulness practice or meditation practice, oh, you're just sitting on your cushion, and right, like the whole like navel gazing thing, and you're not doing anything, and the world is on fire, literally, right? And we all need to be out there and doing all we can all the time. And so how can we balance that? So to say, like, yes, the world is on fire, and what we're doing here is not selfish, right? So the wisdom is, for me, um, so wisdom is basically like the end point. So in the Buddhist, um, in the Buddhist teachings, so or like end point, again, that feels like it's one point on our spectrum. But again, we're seeing more and more clearly how things are. 
But you can see how easily, because there are so many horrible, sad, desperate, greedy, hateful things in the world, right? That we can easily shut down when we see those clearly and when we see like, yeah, that's, that's true, right? And the behavior of people and the motivation of people and can easily be overwhelming. And then we just, or I just want to turn away and pretend none of this happens. I feel completely useless, like, what does it matter what a single person does? I mean, like all these things. I mean, like all these struggles that we have around that. So wisdom, so really looking as at how things are, can overwhelm us. So, and what we, we can turn cold or we can turn indifferent. And that's not helping anybody. <laughs> so with that, we need compassion in there, right? We need to, just a second, we need compassion in there to be able to see that I might have the privilege to turn away or feel like I can do that right now, right? But is that actually true? And what about people who don't have the privilege to turn away, right? Which really comes back to like, are we really separate? So I need the compassion to see more clearly what happens to you happens to me, right? that they're in on some level, on some deeper level, there actually is no separation between you and me. And that this can be a felt experience in our practice. And we can have moments of that which can be deeply transformational. So on the other hand, I'll come back to you, if you can hold that for a moment. So on the other hand, we have compassion, right? And compassion can, can just rip out your heart, Right? Um, and it can make you overextend and overdo and um, overserve and burn out. And can also lead to the point where I just close down and move into indifference because I can't hold all of this. It can also move me into just being just like sentimental and full of pity, right? So they're all like what we call like near enemies around compassion and we can... Um, discuss a little bit more about what those are in the afternoon. So the compassion needs the wisdom that says the wisdom so that this is how things are with perspective, right? To see like, okay, this is feels like this in this moment, in this small circle, and there is a bigger perspective, right? So this is why these two wings really need each other. So, the question. Yeah, you said that wisdom can overwhelm us. And do you mean wisdom as a knowledge of things that are going on in the world or going mm-hmm. on in your life? Yeah. If we're, if we're moving more into just the knowledge side, right? If you just look at the statistics, you just want to throw up, right? Just the facts. And let's just imagine we actually have the facts, right? <laughs> we can, they can really we can go like, like, why even, this is so overwhelming, I can't even start. This is just so mind-blowing to the system, like, why bother? And, and the balance is compassion? Yes. So the balance are the two, and we'll explore that more, how that works, right? So that we're not overextending, but we're also not shutting down. 
we're not getting too sentimental, but we're also getting not too, too just matter-of-fact dismissive often. Like that's like often the flavor that's in there. All right. So um, let's do some practice. And again, so we have in the afternoon, we have more opportunity to also discuss, right? So right now I actually really want to move us into um, silent practice because so that's the other thing is... um, So there are these facts out in the world. And then there is also this tricky topic of perception. (laughs) And perception, so this is, right, so again, we have to balance this, but perception says that how I am looking out into the world determines to a large extent what I see or what I perceive, I should say, because it's not just seeing. Right? So you've heard the saying is that the world is not as you see it, but you see the world as you are. And that is a, it's quite crude, that statement, <laughs> in many ways, but there is, I think there's a kernel of truth in it. Right? So we all know this. Um, that when we're having a good day, you just wake up in the morning, you just feel great, right? Then things can, you can encounter things during the day and you just brush them off. If the same thing happened to you and you're just like, you're just moody or you feel like, I don't know, you're like, like more on the, on the depressed spectrum or I don't know, something else really heavy or sad is going on in your life, then you see those things in a different life, light, right? And it can be um, astonishing. Sometimes like, that can change in a few hours or like, even in a day. And it, it starts with, like, like, do you actually see how beautiful the surrounding is? Which like, when you're in a particular mood, you don't see that. And even if people point to that, you go like, so what? Roses, right? Who cares? <laughs> and then on another day, you can just go like, oh, roses roses. Isn't that beautiful? So that's what we're talking about, right? And so that is really something. So this is why we're starting with turning inside to take responsibility to really see, so what are our patterns uh, in responding to outside situations? So how are we showing up inside, right? So bringing this awareness that I mentioned earlier, so moment by moment, Oh, and by the way, I forgot to say something about the non-judgmental. Um, you might have wondered about the non-judgmental piece and the definition of mindfulness. Um, because you might just feel, if you've tried it a little bit, that you have never been really mindful because you're judgmental all the time. Anybody has felt that a little bit like? Yeah, I definitely have. Just say because the first thing that we often notice when we start mindfulness practice is how judgmental we are. How judgmental, how critical, and that the mind has an opinion about everything. Right? Sometimes it feels like there's a little person on the shoulder that just comments on everything, like everything you do or you don't do, or you think or you don't think, or, right? Anybody can relate to that? Yes. So, but that, really important, doesn't mean that you're not mindful. 
So, but what's really important here is it means two things. So one is that eventually we have more moments where we're not judgmental, which comes through like longer practice or just like long time practice or just practicing this sometimes comes faster, sometimes comes slower. And the other thing is that we are aware of being judgmental and then we're not being judgmental of being judgmental. Right, have, have you had that? Just like, oh, damn it. Like, can you just like, stop being so judgmental? I can't believe like, your thought. Would you just stop those? And it's just like, oh, that's not helping. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, what we do is, right, we notice. And then what we do is we have a practice here that's called noting practice. And when we notice judgmental mind, right, or judgmental thought, we just can say that, oh, judging mind, judging mind, or judging, judging. And then we're not um, proliferating on that. So what we want to do, just have to find my poem here. So we start this morning by going inside with um, some practices. Um, And I want to start this transition. So basically what we're going to do is, so um, until lunch, and if you choose to through lunch, so we're just moving into a period of silent practice. Um, This is just a little bit more than an hour, so not a lot of time right now. Um, And I'll say something about the practice and setting up for this in a moment, but I just want to share a poem with you. And this is called Clearing by Martha Postlewaite. Do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then you will know how to give yourself to this world so worth of rescue. So, the first practice that I would like to guide us through is called the body scan. And one thing, or just a little add-on to um, mindfulness, is mindfulness, our anchor for mindfulness is present moment awareness, but our most reliable anchor for mindfulness is the body and are the senses. So the more we're able to actually be in the body, feel the body with all of our senses, that is a really good anchor, right, to come back to. And our senses are always there, and they are always a way back into the present moment. And for some people, some senses work better than others. So um, body scan is... I'm aware of our space limitations here. 
Um, but often people like to do body scan lying down. Um, you might not want to do this or there's just maybe not enough space. But for example, like somebody could lie back here on the stage and um, you could lie back here. Another way that is actually nice, we have more mats. We have more of these mats. We have more yoga mats. So um, nice way to do this that also saves some space is actually to lie down like this in front of your chair and then put your legs up. So... This is awesome, too. I might just stay here. <laughs> so, okay, so you can do this. And um, so set up for body scan practice. If you're super tired, you might consider actually staying seated. We have more mats, so you don't have to lie on the wooden floor unless you want to do that. The yoga mats are somewhere back here, and then we have more of everything across the hall in the other room. Desmond, you can just lie here if you want to. Yeah. Let me know if you... Want some help to find space? We can use the entire space in here, so don't be shy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. Yeah, there are more here, more mats here. Do you guys want mats to lie on? We have tons of mats here, yeah? Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> Do you have enough space there? Yeah. Yeah, you can just move, yeah, move the chairs. Is there what a cushion? I'll get you a cushion. Yeah. Sure. So, all right. Thank you. Okay, sure. So you can also raise your hand when you're lying down and then you realize you forgot something. I'm happy to bring it. Do you want a cushion for your head? You're good? Okay. Do you want a mat to lie down on? No? You're good? Okay. For those of you already in your position, you can just settle in. You can close your eyes if that feels right, or otherwise just lower the gaze. Really, the point, the question always to ask yourself is what helps you to be more present? 
think that's the most important meditation instruction. <laughs> what helps you to stay present? Like, what do you need right now? Do you have space to lie down there? You can put your legs up here so you can come closer here. Then he has more space there. And don't be shy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Matt, you want a cushion? All right. Okay. Are you using that cushion? You use that cushion? Whoops. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. And as best as you can, welcoming yourself into this body, into this moment. And for many of us, the body can be a foreign landscape that we prefer not to visit, where we have judgments and war areas and fenced-off areas. But... This is the only body we have, we will ever have. And so what would happen if we would start to visit the body, all areas, all parts of the body, with an open mind and heart, Just a checking in of saying like, hey, how are you? So in this practice, again, like you're always in control. So you can move along with me through this practice. You can stop at any time. You can come back to the breath or open your eyes. But to maybe be curious about an exploration that is actually asking nothing, nothing from the body, but bringing something to the body, which is attention. Attention. 
and maybe an open heart and mind. Again, if that isn't possible, if you really don't feel like open-hearted nor open-minded right now, that's okay too. And you can be aware of that. Mindfulness doesn't care what it is mindful of. It can be mindful of anything. So what we're going to do is so we will start with the feet and we'll move through both legs and then later both arms at the same time. There are many different variations of the body scan out there. But the idea really is to just bring attention to all the parts of the body with curiosity. Not expecting anything, not making anything happen. So you can't do it wrong. You're just asked to direct the attention to all the parts of the body one by one and see what's there. And quite often, honestly, we don't feel anything. There is nothing. And that's totally fine too because we can pay attention even if we are not experiencing anything. So we can shine like the flashlight of awareness onto an area even if we don't see anything. (laughs) Okay, so starting out by feeling the entire body. Just you're sitting here or lying here, just getting a sense of this body in this moment. Maybe you don't even have to go to like my body, but just say like, oh, this is what a body feels like in this moment, this particular body. Maybe noticing just a contact with a chair, the floor, the mat, the cushion, And seeing maybe if it's possible to just let go some of the weight you're carrying. Again, for the time of this practice, you don't need the past or the future. And if they show up, which they will, you can say thank you, not now. (laughs) And come back to just feeling, using your senses. So, inviting you now to, just for the next few rounds, to deepen and lengthen your breath and seeing if you can feel the breath in your belly. If you like, you can even put your hands there for a moment. See if you can feel the belly rising with the inhalation as the diaphragm pushes down into the belly. And then... The exhalation, no belly lowering.
And then letting the breath come back to its natural flow. You can either leave your hands on your belly or just rest them at your sides, whatever is most comfortable right now. And then moving the attention into the feet, which we actually have done earlier today. Just feeling the feet. Noticing any sensations in the feet. So some things that are often easy to notice are obviously contact. So seeing if you feel any contact, ground, chair, mat, cushion, that's hard or soft. Temperature, feed warm or cold. Moisture. So if the feet are a little bit damp or they dry. And position. So like we can feel the way our body parts are positioned in space. So you might feel that like one foot is maybe angled a little bit different than the other one. Maybe you can feel your toes. Maybe you can't. But you won't know until you check. And the mind will wander off probably many times during this body scan. Again, totally fine. At some point you notice that you're not with your body and then you can come back. Just letting go of whatever the mind was busy with and can be helpful to say thank you, not now. And then come back. Starting over. Always a new moment. It's always now. So now letting go of the feet and moving the attention to the ankles. Again, maybe you can't feel your ankles at all. That's not a problem. Your brain still knows where your ankles are. Some people like to imagine that they can breathe attention into body parts. So if that works for you, you can do that. You don't have to. And then letting go of the ankles and moving on to the lower legs. We're just getting a sense of the lower legs right now. So again, maybe 
touch, contact. Maybe you feel pens or a blanket against the shins. If you have body hair on your lower legs, you might have a sense of that. Just noticing. Again, there's nothing to do here, nothing to achieve. You don't have to be anybody. You don't have to be the professional or the mom or the brother, whatever, in order to feel your lower legs. There's just sensations and the awareness of it. That's enough. And then moving on now to the knees. So getting a sense of the knees. Probably have an idea whether the knees are bent or straight. Again, maybe contact or none. And sometimes as you do the body scan, you might come across areas where there's tension or pain. And you can just notice that. So that can be part of the awareness as well. Or if you have chronic pain in the body, you might notice that the attention keeps going to that area. So just being aware of that. And then... Just very patiently bringing the awareness back to where we are. So saying, yes, I know. And there are other parts of the body. And now letting go of the knees and moving on to the upper legs. So that whole area between the knees and the hip joints. And also just pay attention that we're not visualizing. So this is not a visualizing exercise, but actually a sensing exercise. If you have images, sometimes images just arise, especially if you're a more visual person, that's okay. But the focus is on actually sensing into that body part. Because the sense is just a sense. It's not judgmental. Images can be so judgmental. So, the upper legs in this moment. No past, no future necessary, just right now.
And then now opening and feeling the entire legs. So from the hip joints all the way down to the toes. So you're just opening the lens of awareness just a little bit. And again, if you like that image, maybe imagining breathing down into the legs and just getting a sense of the entire legs. Legs in this moment. And if that comes easy, maybe even inviting a sense of appreciation for the fact that you do have legs. Even if they're maybe not perfect or not anymore. But again, as I said earlier, like appreciation is nothing we can force. We can make happen, but we can open a door. So if it wants to come in, it can. And then letting go of the legs and now moving the attention to the hip and pelvis area. So starting out by just sensing where there's contact with the chair or the mat, the cushion. Bringing awareness to the entire pelvis, including the anal and genital area. Bringing awareness to the organs inside the pelvis, which you might not be able to feel unless you have a full bladder. <laughs> or maybe there's a sense of like the lower belly wall moving with the breath or not. And then bringing awareness to the entire belly, entire abdomen, so the whole area, soft area below the ribcage, the diaphragm. And again, maybe you can feel the movement of the breath here or not. We can bring awareness inside the abdomen, 
Even if we can feel anything in particular, internal organs. And then letting go now of the belly and moving the attention to the spine area. Starting with the lower spine, the tailbone, sacrum, and lumbar spine. Noticing what is here right now, just right now. And then moving the awareness up the spine. And then very simply just starting with, can you feel contact against the spine where there's touch, where there's none? Feeling into the area of the shoulder blades and the shoulders. So really using like the flashlight of awareness to feel into this area. And of course, if at any time you come across tension that's easy to release, please do so. Sometimes we are tense and we're not even aware of it until we come to that area. Maybe letting go a little bit more. And then bringing awareness to the entire chest. So ribcage... Movement of the breath, chest wall, maybe the breasts. Armpits. And maybe also the organs inside the chest.
And letting go now of the chest and moving the attention to the shoulder joints. So noticing if anything is here to feel or not. Shoulder joints. And then the upper arms. So feeling the upper arms. And maybe as we're moving through this body scan, also becoming aware of the interplay between wisdom and compassion, not in such an intellectual and factual way, but the wisdom component says, this is a body. This is what a body feels like. This is a body with this particular life story at this particular age. And then there is compassion, or there can be compassion, that says, yes, and some parts hurt, or some parts are tight. Let me be present for that because I care about this pain. I care about this tension. So here are our two wings. So now moving the attention to the upper arms and the elbows. Again, just seeing what is here to feel. And what you can also do here, which can be an interesting little thing, is see if you can Feel the space between your upper arms and your torso. Maybe there is no space there, but maybe there is. And then so see if you can feel that from the side of the torso, from the side of the upper arms, and see if you can get a felt sense of that space. What does that feel like? And then getting a sense of like how much your elbows are straight or bent. 
and how precisely your body knows that, that you have a felt sense of exactly where and how much the elbows are bent. And then letting go and now moving the awareness to the forearms and wrists. So what are the forearms touching, if anything? How are the wrists bent or straight? Are they warm or cold? And then the hands. So hands in this moment. What is there to feel right now? Maybe you have a sense of the individual fingers or not. And then opening to feel the entire arms, your whole arms, and from the shoulder joints all the way down into the fingers. You felt sense of arms. Arms and these arms. And maybe if it's easily available, opening to appreciation for the fact of having arms and what they do for you. And then letting go of the arms and moving the awareness to the neck area, neck and shoulder area again, and the throat.
checking in. What is here right now? And then moving on to the jaw. The jaw and the mouth, teeth, tongue. Just bringing awareness now to this area of the body. And then the cheeks and the nose. Probably having a sense of the ear coming in and out of the nostrils, unless your nose is stuffy. And the eyes, just exploring eyes in this moment. Eyeballs, eyelids, eyebrows, and the circular muscles around the eyes. Maybe noticing if you're squinting. Or frowning. And then the forehead, feeling the forehead. And then the entire face. Getting a sense of your face right now. And then the sides of the head with the ears. back of the head. And the top of the head.
And now opening back up again. Coming full circle, feeling the entire body again. As we're coming closer to the end of this body scan. And just noticing now, now, now. And if you like that image, maybe imagining breathing from the crown of the head all the way down into the toes and up and out again. Letting yourself be breathed. Letting the body do the breathing. Just being here, being present. Being alive. Feeling yourself. And when you're ready... Just inviting movement back into the body. Just taking your time. Maybe wiggling fingers, toes, stretching, just being aware of the other bodies around you. (laughs) No rush to transition. And at some point, when you feel ready, you can come back 
into a seated position for those of you lying on the ground. So we will be transitioning right from the body scan into a period of walking meditation. So um, we will be walking for about 15 minutes. And um, so remember that right now we are in silence. So just refrain from chatting with your neighbors or as you're transitioning, if that's possible. And then um, for those of you, so in a moment, for those of you who have done walking meditation before, you can just go out and walk and we'll have somebody with a bell outside and bring us all back in after 15 minutes. And for those of you who are new to the practice or who just want instructions for walking meditation, you just stay here. So we just let the people who know what they're doing... (laughs) Right. <laughs> Vacate the room. So, walking meditation is just another way to bring awareness to the body and ourselves in the present moment. And we're using either the soles of the feet or the entire body moving through space as our anchor for the present moment. So, we can all stand up. Also, if you don't want to walk or you can't walk, you don't have to, obviously. You could do some mindful movement or you can also just stay here. So I'm aware that walking is not possible for everybody. So, But if you can walk, so then let's just stand up for a moment. So, of course, the mind is always busy and it's rarely ever here in this moment. So as we've done before, so our job is just to know, notice when the attention is off. It doesn't really matter where it goes. So that's in that moment, that's not so important. You notice it's off and you bring it back. And that is just like a lot what meditation is about. It's just like bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Don't be judgmental. <laughs> be kind to yourself. Know that this is a normal thing that every body, every brain does this. So and what we do in walking is, so um, you go outside and then you can, so formal walking meditation, you would choose a stretch of maybe like 15, 20 feet. And then you walk that back and forth. So you have an imagined path and you come to the end of your imagined path, you stop, you turn around and you walk back. When you see people like who've done this for a while do walking meditation, they often do kind of a zombie walk. They just walk in slow-mo. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Unless, again, it helps you to be more present. So the point is, again, to be in the present moment. And so sometimes for some people, actually, or especially when either you're very restless or very sleepy, it's good to walk quite brisk, right? So that the body can regulate, the mind can regulate. And at some point you can slow down if you want to. Because what happens if you walk uh, slow is you can track the sensations more. 
right? So if you walk fast, then actually to stay with the with all the different fa- phases of walking is hard, right? But again, it's up to you to do that. And this again, this is like the situational, like you have to decide in that moment what helps you to stay present. <laughs> so what we would do is um, you can also help uh, keep your mind a little bit more busy by giving it a task to do by breaking each step down into three or four parts, right? So the mind likes that. So then sometimes it's easier so it doesn't go off so much. So what we would do is, so you can do just a couple of steps here and then I'll send you out. So you shift over to the one leg and then you the phases are lifting, moving, placing, and then shifting, lifting, moving, placing. And maybe one more, shifting, lifting, moving, placing okay so that's it and you can see that um it can be quite interesting to see can you actually stay present to see like when does the lifting end when does the placing start so keep your mind really busy keep your mind interested in each step because otherwise your mind goes like yeah yeah i know how walking works and then you're just off thinking about work or whatever else right so again that's not the point So play with that. Sometimes it's nice to just stop and take in the beautiful place where we are. So you can totally do that too. Um, Yeah, and that's it. You have your eyes open when you walk. So (laughs) unless you want more of a challenge. (laughs) And we bring you back in in 15 minutes. So enjoy your walking. Um, Whatever helps you to stay present. Actually, it's often nice to walk barefoot because it's more sensations, right? And then helps you to stay more present. Would you go down and ring a bell? Like in, what time is it now? Yeah. You know, let's just do, what, what's your time saying? Ten. Ten, okay. So let's just, if you, fifteen, uh, twenty-five. Can you ring like at twenty-two? Yeah, so they have, yeah, no, 1222. 22. Yeah? Because <laughs> it takes a while until yeah. everybody's back in, and yeah. I want to say a little bit about um, uh, eating meditation okay. before they go. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you. Do you have symbols? Um, yeah. Oops.
So let's just settle in as you're coming in here. And just drop into a seated meditation. Just noticing the transition from moving to sitting still again. Just finding the breath in the body. And again, just moving from now to now, or being still and letting the rest move. using either the breath as the anchor to the present moment right now, or the whole body sitting here breathing.
It doesn't matter how often you need to bring the mind back. So every time you're aware that you're not mindful, you are. So that was probably the fastest 15 minutes of your life. <laughs> With a little misunderstanding as far um, like when the gong <laughs> should ring. So in case you wondered, <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> um, so now it's time for our, um, our lunch break. And um, so I, I just want to say one thing. So if you're um, just really starting to get a little bit more still, a little bit more quiet, which can happen, for those, especially for those of you who've been practicing for a while, then you can just use that throughout the, the lunch period. So you can just eat in silence, or you can just eat in silence and then um, visit with other people, or you can just eat and then go for a walk. It's so nice to go for uh, a little hike here. Um, so it's up to you to decide that, but I really want to give you permission. And so like if you're eating and then somebody comes up to you and want to chat, like don't feel obliged to just talk because you're a nice person and you like people. <laughs> can just say like, I, I would really rather be in silence right now. And um invite everybody to if you get that response to to respect that it's such a precious opportunity like a day like this um yeah so take care of yourself in that way so i just want to say a few words about um eating or mindful eating so as i said earlier like mindfulness doesn't really care what it is mindful of and eating is a wonderful opportunity to um, really to practice using all of your senses in this moment. Um, I hope you brought something that you actually enjoy eating. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, really just take your time. Like we often we eat so fast, way too fast. And we also often do all kinds of other things while we're eating. So we rarely ever take the opportunity to just use, really just look at your food. Maybe reflect for a moment what it took 
for this food to come to you. Right? I mean, that's one thing, like, um, this is actually a, a wisdom practice, is to reflect that um, on the interconnectedness of all things. And it's so obvious with our food, right? So somebody grew your food or um, prepared your food. Maybe you prepared your food, but you probably, I mean, like maybe you did grow it. I don't know. Maybe you have some gardeners here. <laughs> you have some, still some tomatoes, like we still have some tomatoes in LA right now. Um, but all the, the spices, right? Everything, like the container that you brought your food in. I mean, like all these um, came to you through the help of other people, right? Um, and we, we often forget this, right? People who grew this, right? They, they planted it, they took care of it. And then, like the environment, like the rain, um, or here the irrigation, I should rather say, it's still water, water went into it, nutrients from the earth, the sun, all of that went into that food. And to, like we often say, like so many lives are involved in bringing this to you. And um, can you just appreciate that interconnectedness for a moment? Right. It came out of the earth, and now you're bringing it into your body. It gives you life, and at some point, sooner or later, <laughs> it will go back into the earth. Um, yeah, so enjoy your food and your time. If you're um, new here, if you haven't been to Spirit Rock, so like if, like, um, there are two nice round walks you can do. So one is um, you go over through the parking lot. There are like bridges. And after the bridges, you make a left turn. There's a path starting there. And that gives you a trip through this wood out behind that wood. And then you make a turn and you come back and the retreat ended. So the silent retreat, otherwise they don't want you to actually go through the silent retreat area, but you can do that because they're done. So you can come through, you can have a look at the upper meditation hall <laughs> on your way down. So that's one round trip, that's nice. And then um, another one is, there are, so you go up here and then you make a right and there are stairs that go up onto this hill. And then you can go either like up, 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 up until the top and then you come back down at some point. Um, there's another round trip but that actually takes two hours or more. Then you come, uh, or what you can do is you come to a cross, crossing, you make a left turn there and that will also bring you back down to the upper meditation hall and then you can go through the hall there and come the way back down. Or you can just like walk down the street here, down too. <laughs> um, but this, the street is even. All of this has some climbing involved. So, All right, so see each other back here at uh, 12.30. Enjoy your lunch.
So welcome back. Let's just start with uh, practice. So just doing just a brief practice, maybe like 10 minutes. So just finding, again, a comfortable posture. If you want to stay on your chair, that's fine. But also if you like to rather sit on the floor, feel free to, to do that. So being aware of this new transition after lunch, coming back in here, maybe you took a walk, maybe you talked, maybe you found a place for a short nap. And then, like, how can you be open for this new moment? So the body or the feet, the breath, just learning what is a reliable place for you to find an anchor, anchor for the busy mind. So just resting the attention with the breath or with the sensations in the feet or the body.
and just coming back. No need to judge the mind. Wondering is what the mind does. And I want to invite you now to notice an impulse in your experience. So that could be an impulse to move, could be an impulse to maybe scratch an itch, could be an impulse just of in the mind, like a thought like, ooh, I forgot to email so-and-so back or call them back. And as you become aware of that, just become really curious and watch an impulse. So move away from the content of this particular impulse and just see if you can just internally just lean back a little bit and say like, huh, Impulse to move or impulse to scratch, impulse to do something, to think about something. And just notice what happens.
just ending this meditation. So, did anybody find an impulse that you could observe? Anybody wants to to share? Yeah. <laughs> can you can you hear? Or sh- do you want to? Okay. Yeah. You want to say a little bit more? What happened? Okay, and then what happened? Well, my relationship changed. I still felt the same. Okay, all right. Require me to do it. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah, great. Thank you. Uh huh. Thanks. Other people? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, so the impulse was to um, recall an event uh, my work was. Uh huh. Okay. And uh, just bringing the attention to it, just like any thought without a lot of charge, you know, just went away and woke up. Oh, went away? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Yeah, please. So did that come up as a, how did you notice that? Came, did that come up in the meditation? else? Yes, please. I had about four and it went from being like a really uh-huh. back of my calf. And so when I was like, oh, twitch in the back of my calf, I kind of like meditated on that the less immediate the impulse became. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember what the other ones were. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. So what is 
what does this have to do with wisdom? Or does it have anything to do with wisdom? Yes. Okay, uh-huh. And that f- feels like wisdom? It feels like being in the presence of the knowledge of something. Okay. Without re- re- having an immediate reaction. Okay, yes. So like there's a choice or more freedom in that? Or how would you describe that? It's not dictating my actions. Oh, okay, yes. Uh-huh, right, yes. Uh-huh. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. I don't have to itch, and then like in the future, I can like look back and say, "Okay, I didn't itch that time," and then the feeling passed. Yes. And just keep doing it. Until yes. It's easier to not act on the impulse. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Please. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And I had another impulse to touch my phone on my pocket, and then I was like, well, that's that one. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I think. Yes. I think that's a beautiful example, right? So it's like, but so usually what we do is we're not even paying attention and we're just driven by impulses all the time, right? As if you're, if I would make a video of any of us, including myself, right? We, we just do this <laughs> constant, <laughs> right? And we're not aware of it. And basically what it is, if we become still enough and curious, what it is, it is always, or almost always, and a, re- a response or a reaction to some form of discomfort, right? So it's something like, a, like even like a tension. So even like, is my phone still there or something, right? So there, it's like a tension, right? And then I touch it, I go like, yes, right? Or it's like, like with our phones now, thinking like, anybody like my new Instagram post, right? So it's like, it's the same, like it's an impulse, but we are often really driven and we're doing all these things without being aware of it. And so for me, wisdom has a lot to do with, I mean, it's just beautiful how, you've, um, how that matched your experience is just becoming aware and having maybe more space or more perspective around what's going on, maybe bigger picture, right? Maybe like, oh, maybe I, like, when I focus on, like, um, I have a, uh, a tender uh, Achilles um, tendon right now, I 
for whatever reason, which like my mind loves to go into the story why that happened and why it shouldn't have happened and all of this, of course. So I can focus on that. And if I really focus on that, then it can feel that like I'm in pain. But if I focus on the whole body, if I kind of open that picture, I go like, well, actually, that's right now the only spot in my body that is um, a little bit tender or painful. And then I can say like, wow, well, this is maybe... I don't know, this is maybe 2% of my body right now <laughs> that is in pain, but the rest is actually fine. And then so I can shift, right? So I could be like miserable about this, why this shouldn't be happening and um, how I can get rid of it, right? Because that is something that the mind can do or the mind will do. It will hyper-focus on something, usually something that we don't like or where there's tension or that goes wrong, to the exclusion of everything else. Have you noticed that? Right, definitely around physical pain, right? Uh, very clearly, like, I don't know, if, when you, like, um, uh, stub your toe or something, right? It feels you're just toe in that moment. <laughs> and everything else is just gone, right? And there's a good reason for that. If you think about it, really, from a, um, from a um, point of view from the nervous system, so if there's a sudden new pain in the body, this is really important for the um, system to take care of. Because this could be dangerous. This could be a threat to, we call that a threat to life or limb, right? So you don't know this. So pain is actually a way to tell the body to pay attention. And then we're doing that. So we're really paying attention to this. And everything else goes into the background. So that's actually has a good um, intention behind that, right? But then it goes a little bit overboard when it always does that. Because there's always something and we end up with thinking like life just feels like tense or painful or, right? So like one way that we do is we can deliberately either zoom in to something, right? Or zoom out. And so that is the capacity of mindfulness. And for me, that is also the capacity of, um, of wisdom, right? So I think wisdom is a lot, I mean... Um, I don't know when that got lost, but um, I always felt like, or when I was growing up, there were still like these stories or those people around like old wise people. Did you have that? Like in, in either in your culture or like, like the wise grandmother or like people like where it really like there, there was something really that we knew at least some of the people getting older, they would become wise. <laughs> Right, And there would be people we would like to talk to because we knew they had a bigger perspective. When we felt like all rattled and overwhelmed by life, then it was good to talk to a wise person. And why are we doing this? To get some perspective. And it's very interesting that um, even like in the, uh, the, um, the teachings of the Buddha, there is, or like we talk about, like for example, for loving kindness or for equanimity, that this is like it's a grandmotherly or grandparent feeling, right? Because if you think about like for, for uh, if you had like kids or I don't know, anybody, any grandparents in here? There are some grandparents in here. So, um, do you have a different relationship to your grandparents than you had to your own kids, especially as they were really little? It's different, right? It's just you. You probably have a little bit more perspective, right? So, when you have a new baby, it feels just everything feels just overwhelming, and you feel completely overwhelmed and not up to the task, right? And I, when when you're 
just a little bit more into being a parent or then being a grandparent at some point, you know it will pass. You know whatever feels or felt so intense or so like life or death in the second in that moment, right? That like most of the time it's just like it will pass. It's just intense. They have a fit, they have a tantrum, right? They get through it, they will outgrow it. And so that is really, I think that is something that is, um, that's, that's a really good analogy for, for wisdom. To just have a bigger perspective, right? So that a lot of that we're really getting so upset about or are so obsessed with, right? A lot of that will pass. Like that itch, right? That itch will pass. Or that impulse to move will pass, so I think that can be a really nice exercise to just, and of course not everything, right? But a lot of it, like, because we're so, we are so, um, it comes so natural for the mind to focus on something that is negative. Or we think like, I can do this, or I can make this go away. But then it comes to a point where it feels like if I don't do anything, it will never go away, right? So... Um, <laughs> Do, do some of you remember the frog and toad stories? Was that Alfred Lubel, right? So, for those of you who don't know that, so that's frog and toad, and it's kind of like, frog is kind of like the wise person, and toad is like the more like bumbling, I don't know how you want to call him. Um, and so there's this one story. So a frog has a, a very beautiful garden. And then Toad wants to have a garden too. And he says, I, Frog, I want to have a garden, so what do I need to do a garden? And a Frog says, you know, it, it takes quite some work to, to have a garden, but here are some seeds, so you put them in the ground, and um, then I'll come around and help you at some point, right? Okay, so then Toad goes off and then puts the, the seed into the ground and then covers them with dirt and puts some water on it. And then he waits. And he goes like, you can come out now, it's safe now, it's time to grow, come on, let's grow, let's grow. And nothing happened. He goes like, oh gosh, what am I doing? And then at some point he, he, he isn't sure like what else he should do. So what he does is he starts then to, um, to sing to, his, um, to the ground where his seeds are in. And then at some point, so there's a little picture where you see Toad and he's singing in the rain and with an umbrella and he's protecting his little sprouts. And at some point, and he does all kinds of other things and, I don't know, tells some stories, whatever. And then at some point, he's so exhausted from the whole thing that he just falls asleep like next to his, um, his garden. And then in the morning, Obviously, a few days later in the morning, he wakes up and then Frog comes by. And then Toad looks and says, like, finally, the little sprouts have come out. And Todd says, oh, my God, did that take a lot of work? Right? And so we think, like, oh, that's an endearing story. Um, <laughs> but if you think about, like, a lot of things, or that would be a good question, or if, a field to explore in your life, like, where are you doing that? Because you never actually question whatever you're taking care of, if that wouldn't take care of itself. Like, where are we putting in so much energy and so much work or doing, right, with something that might not be necessary? There is a nice haiku that says, um, sitting quietly, doing nothing, 
spring comes and the grass grows by itself. And I love that, right? Because for me, it's really, it's this exploration for us to, of course, sometimes we need to be active and we need to do something, but often we do not. And if doing is our only mode of being in the world, right, that's exhausting. That is really exhausting. And so an exploration, and I love that's in a meditation that is so simple to see, like, start to watch these impulses, become aware of impulses, and then make a wise decision. And you can only do that when you're actually present for it, right? And yes, I mean, like, a lot of times when we're, when we're teaching this, or when I'm teaching this, people say, I had no idea an itch would go away by itself. I th- always thought it's me who makes that itch go away because I scratch it. <laughs> Right? That's kind of what the itch says. And so, and it's interesting, so um, there's a a teaching or like even like a whole class around that um, that teaches for uh, people who uh, struggle with addiction. And, um, well, and again, addiction is on a spectrum. It just means that we are reacting to an impulse in a way where it feels like we don't have any freedom to make a choice, right? So, like, one of the practices that is taught there is called urge surfing. And urge surfing, and then um, um, my friend Greg Serper, he's the guy um, from the VA with whom I, I, I wrote our book, and so he teaches that to uh, substance ab- abuse groups a lot. And he teaches um, urge surfing. So urge surfing is exactly what we just did. Right, so you become aware of an urge, right? You name it, and then you learn to just hold it and not do anything with it. And to see, right? And then you start, of course, with something as like, well, you might want to hold on of just like scratching that itch or holding off on just swallowing your saliva just yet. I mean, like things, right, where you can really start to see what the mind is doing and to see that, like, impulses, they rise, they become very intense, and but they will crest at some point. They will not stay at the same level. And that is often something because, of course, addiction says, like, you need to do this right now, right? Or, I mean... Right? It can, the internal voices can become very, very dramatic. But in the end, is to become more fluid with really learning that to see like it's rising, it's cresting, it's falling, and it can be gone. And to see that in your meditation, right? Even like with a thought, right? Like how often, I don't know, have you ever had that thought like, oh, I forgot to email, call, whatever, and then I feel like, oh, I have to get out of my meditation and do that right now. I can't forget this. So it's so strong, that impulse, right? And then if I just allow myself to sit with that and it does its thing, whatever it does in the body, and then, I don't know, 30 seconds later, I've completely forgotten about it. It's completely gone because that thought is gone, right? And so what we learn when we do this more is we become more, we have more space around this. So we don't take every urge, um, we don't believe every urge, let's put it this way, right? Because the urge will always say, you have to do this right now, 
or else, right? To say, mm-hmm, okay, I hear you, I see you, right? And to just wait a little bit. It can bring in a lot of freedom. And that, that in my book, bless you, <laughs> in my book, that is wisdom. That is wisdom. What it also um, comes into is um, the practice of equanimity. So what I want to do is I just want to explain a little bit what equanimity is, how we practice that, and then I want to move into uh, compassion practice. So equanimity... um, First I should say, so equanimity is, for those of you who have been around a little bit longer, um, so equanimity is one of the four heart qualities. So the heart qualities are love or loving kindness, compassion, joy, and then equanimity. And they are seen as just like one facet of the same, um, the same, state of heart, so to speak, and it's situational, right? So the foundation is kindness or friendliness or loving kindness, and that's something that we cultivate. And when that, that, when that love encounters pain, it turns into compassion, right? So again, it's situational. And when that love um, encounters happiness in ourselves or somebody else, it becomes joy or sympathetic joy. Um, which is a very clunky term. (laughs) And then um, equanimity is kind of the big container for all of that, right? So in a way, you could say, or my equation for that is, so equanimity is pain plus joy plus compassion, uh, plus love. That's equanimity. So when love encounters any of life's fullness, so the full catastrophe, it turns into equanimity. And we really need that, right? Because life is so full of challenges, difficulties, pain, struggle, all of this, but at the same time also so full of of joy and awe and beauty. And it's hard for us to actually to keep our heart open for both, right? So often it feels like we might have been hurt by life and then we need to close the heart, right? Because it's just too much or it feels too overwhelming. But what we do when the heart closes is we also close our joy. So that is often like so that in a period after, I don't know, like a tragedy hit, for example, right? So when it just gets too intense, the system will close down and then we feel numb, right? So which is, again, that's often just a natural response to a very intense um, thing happen in our life. But at some point, we're, we don't want to feel numb anymore. And then we can start this practice of like reopening the doors of the heart. And then what happens is that, again, like we cannot only feel the joy. So when we want to feel more alive again, we have to be willing to feel both again, right? So we need really the practice of 
these four heart qualities as well as the practice of wisdom to move through life. And so I have a, a little bit longer definition of um, equanimity. I was just trying to look at it a little bit more from different angle because equanimity is not such a commonly used word um, in the English language. Um, so equanimity is the inner stance to be willing and able to accept things as they are in this moment, regardless of whether they are challenging or boring, exciting, or exactly what we wanted. Mm-hmm. It brings calmness and balance towards moments of joy as well as difficulty. It protects from an emotional overreaction and allows us to rest in a bigger perspective. Equanimity often comes with a joyful inner stillness and contentment, regardless of how life presents itself in this particular time. It's like the eye of the storm, the mature oak tree, the calm center, which is grounded in the deep knowledge that everything is constantly changing and so much is truly out of our control. And that we have, at least in this moment, made peace with this. So, (laughs) it's interesting that um, it feels like um, over the last maybe 10, 15 years, we had like this huge movement in like broader society uh, to embrace first mindfulness or like what's called secular mindfulness now. Then maybe starting five years ago, six years ago, another movement started that was called the compassion and self-compassion movement. And then the, some of the people who were practicing mindfulness and some of them who were into compassion were starting to fight a little bit about like what is what and one is missing the other or the other. So it's just like how unbalanced that is, which of course is completely ridiculous. Um, but that seems to be human nature. <laughs> Um, and now, I think we're just on the cusp of moving into a new phase, which I trust or I believe will be about equanimity. So equanimity, so I'm just predicting this, so you can <laughs> we'll see in a couple of years, but I think like we're moving into like a bigger equanimity movement. So here's the interesting thing about equanimity. Um, so when you look at measures that measure mindfulness, right? So like that's the thing. So as soon as something like gets into science, you have to be able to measure it. And then you have to ask people a lot of questions and then hopefully like somehow find out in a, a qualifiable, quantifiable way that something has changed from whatever they did before to now and made them more mindful. But mindfulness is such an elusive thing that it's really interesting. So one of my um, mentors, um, Gil Fronstahl, he is a Buddhist scholar and he just, he loves saying like, I have no idea what mindfulness is. So he has studied this, uh, really like looked at the scriptures and he's a very deep practitioner and he at this point in his practice says, whoop, 
I have no idea, right? And I like that because it says like, oh, it's not so easy. It's not this thing that you can put into a, into a square little box. It's just more mysterious, if we can call it that way, right? So um, when we measure it, so like there are some of the early measures that people came up with and then people saying like, no, this is actually is asking just like, did your attention get better, Right? And so basically, then what we measure is, are people more able to pay attention after they took a class? Which that's nice to know, that you are better at paying attention. But then, of course, like a lot of people would say, but that's just a fraction of mindfulness, right? Paying attention. And so we have to be super careful <clears throat> when we're now teaching secular mindfulness so that we're not teaching that as an attention training, Right? Right? So if you just listen to some of the programs, it's just like, oh, like your kids will be better to pay attention, which is fabulous. I'm not saying that's bad, but if we're saying that's what mindfulness is, then we're just basically, we're, we're cutting off a finger of the entire being and say like, this is what it is. Just like, oh, we just cut off like most of the rest of the body of what mindfulness is. So, and one of the qualities that are often, that's often tested for is equanimity, right? Because it seems to be that, have, have you noticed that? Like for those of you who've been practicing meditation, that you have more equanimity, you have more perspective, a little bit more calm at times, right? You can step back all of this, you can stop thoughts or just like being engaged in thoughts, all of this. Yes, yeah, so this is a function, or a part at least, is a function of equanimity, so, but then, again, is equanimity and mindfulness the same thing? I don't think so. <laughs> and so it's just put into the same box in a way, or into the same measure, because it starts to arise, which is also true is that people like who do, like say an MBSR class, or who do <clears throat> an MBCT class, let's start with MBCT. So MBCT is a eight-week class that teaches just mindfulness. So it has no compassion, it has no ex explicit compassion, no explicit loving kindness in it. And at the end of these, and it's uh, for uh, to prevent depression relapse. And at the end of these eight weeks, people are more compassionate and they're more self-compassionate, right? So what we're seeing is that the, they, are, they, they co-arise together. But of course, if you're curious about it, then you say, well, but are they the same thing? Or are they really just like co-arising? And here's something interesting is um, what I've definitely noticed, and I'm curious about you, um, is that we are, it's easier for us to be mindful when we're new to the practice than being equanimous. Would you agree? I mean, I can, again, so if I tell you, you can, you can start mindfulness practice and be more mindful right now. Or you, can, you go home today and you know how to be more mindful in your life. And I hope you also are, will be maybe a little bit more equanimous <laughs> after this. But equanimous is actually, it seems to be, that um, the equanimity follows mindfulness. But they're not, like, they're not like two like equal horses that draw the card. Would you say that, like for those of you who have been practicing for a while, is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my theory would be that mindfulness is, Uh-huh. It's, it's a trait that's actually more permanent. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about <laughs> the relationship of the two in the near future. Um, but what is really interesting is that um, the teachings of equanimity are already like in the Buddhist teachings and very explicitly so. Even to a point where uh, some people say that like an equanimous mind is like that you develop more and more as like for people who believe in the concept of like an enlightened state, right? That the enlightened mind state is equanimous. And that can be quite interesting because um, equ equanimity is very highly prized in the Buddhist teachings, right? So often we say it's about happiness and the Dalai Lama writes about happiness and all of this. But if you really look, that it's not like the kind of, this kind of happiness, right? But it's more like a still happiness. So it's, and some people would call that equanimity because equanimity actually has like this, like really joyful, but it's a calm joy, like a calm abiding and weathering like life storms, like with a, with a firm center. So, let's see where, I don't want to go with this. Um, okay, so, then the question is, so how is, um, so in a way we could say there is a practice for, <laughs> there is actually a, a very clear practice how to practice equanimity. As far as I know, there is no such clear practice to practice wisdom. Because wisdom is actually a bigger container where like all these practices that we're doing feeds into like deepening our overall wisdom. Right? So equanimity is a good place because we can say, oh, this is actually something that we can start to put into practice. And definitely like just practicing mindfulness and watching things like, so what you also did is you did like a very um, core practice, a Buddhist practice and with the um, urge surfing. It's, um, we call that arising and passing. So we see the arising and the passing of phenomena in our experience without us actually doing anything right? So you didn't ask that itch to come, it's just here, okay, so it did arise by itself, and then if you watch it, it will go away by itself at some point. So, any questions on this, before we move into more practice? Is that, is that too abstract, what I'm talking about, or can you, you can follow that? Yeah? Okay. So how they relate or or it gets confusing, thank you. Let's see if I can clarify that a little bit more. Um 
So we start out with, so the, the tradition that we're practicing in is called vipassana or insight meditation. And the definition of that is seeing things as they really are, which is exactly the definition I gave you earlier for wisdom. So seeing things as they really are, right? So, um, and um, Buddhism or definitely like um, vipassana, then the vipassana tradition is a wisdom tradition. Um, so like what we're doing under this umbrella will deepen wisdom. And for me, actually, um, and this is where they're intertwined, that wisdom needs to be coupled or like if wisdom is bare of compassion, it is not wisdom. So compassion needs to be interwoven with, uh, with wisdom. Mindfulness is the very direct practice that we do, but it's really it's it's an application to start with. Like so, with the definition, so it's intentional. So I decide I want to be more mindful in more moments, and then I start practicing. And at some point, when you practice a lot, a lot, a lot, then the momentum of mindfulness will be so strong that you don't have to do that anymore. Then mindfulness is just naturally there. But that is usually just happens on retreat practice or for people who do who are like professional meditators or ordained people, right? So that usually doesn't happen in everyday life. So that's kind of how we are getting closer to then have what we call these insights, namely like, oh, I don't have to scratch that itch, it just goes away, which we would call that is an insight into impermanence small insight, but this is like, oh, this is something I have experienced myself. Because the thing is, we need to experience these things ourselves so we know them. We say like, oh, I know this. This is not enough. This is not an insight, right? This is knowledge. So we need to marry really like what we know here with here. So do you, do you know what I'm talking about? This like you often like you go like, oh, I've always read about this. And suddenly you go like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is it, right? But it's, it's uh, at least for most people, that's kind of like a, a full body experience. Um, and then we won't usually forget this or it's not so easy to forget it because it's not just something that we have read about or that we have studied, but it has really become part of our own experience, the felt sense, and then it becomes over time part of who we are. Yeah, but it's it's confusing, right? But does that make sense yeah. a little bit more? So, Penny, as you were speaking, was maybe mindfulness, compassion, the building blocks to, to wisdom. That's an interesting thought. I would have to actually sit more with that. Because so here's like my, my immediate response is that is true on one level and not true on, a lot, on another. Right? Because we also, what we're working with is um, that we are working with the, what we call the relative and the absolute. And so the relative means this is here, what we have to work with, what we have to be with, Right? And then there is also, there is an absolute level, right? So that is there. So when we're talking or people talk about, let's say like, oh, I had an experience of that, um, of union with everything, for example, right? Or um, 
like if you've heard or read some of Jack Cornfield's work, he talks about this, about the relative and the absolute, that he says we have to remember our true nature, which is Buddha nature, right? So like it's the innate goodness that we have, right? That we're born with. And that feeds into like this vast, the vastness really, right? And the fullness of everything, right? But we can't function from that level. And then he says, and you also have to remember your social security number. So that's like, that's the relative. So you have to remember both your Buddha nature and your social security number, right? Which gives us a sweet little paradox, which I think is good because it keeps us on our toes, right? Because it never says like, oh, this is, this is real or this is what it is. And so I think that's at least my, and again, I would have to think more about that to answer, is, like, is that just building blocks? Yes, on one level it is, and on another level, on the more absolute level, it's more than that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, the practical example I came up with was all the 12,000 children that are still in captivity at the borders. Yes. Yes. So that's a fact. That's a fact. Yes. And I didn't connect that that's wisdom. Mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to go through some, a screen, some kind of other thing. So I put the word discernment. I needed yes. to discern that fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my feelings based on my values is it's immoral. Yes. Mm-hmm. For me personally, for other people, their screen may say that's exactly what needs to be done. So when I put it through my screen, that's when it felt it became wisdom. It yes. Just the fact that yes. people being incarcerated. Mm-hmm. That, that was an immoral act. Yes. And then if I take the next step, the compassion I feel about that, something about it yes this is my sequence beautiful yeah exactly that's the that um what is happening sorry if i mispresented that but the wisdom is this is not the facts the facts are not the wisdom the wisdom is how we see things Right, So it's like something that we strengthen and develop and grow over time. So how are we responding to what is out there? Right, And some of these things, as I said earlier, they're heavily filtered and we see them in the way they're actually not. Right, So, I don't know, simple example, that person that never says hello to you, that lives like in your apartment complex, right? it's not about you. But we can easily make us that about us, right? So to to see things and then get more freedom in these areas. And it can also, in these areas where it's like the example that you're giving, like with the children, is that is a fact. And then to see how are we relating to that, because that is so intense that it can be easily overwhelming, and we close off and we turn away, right? And we say like, wow, or we go into intellectualizing, 
right? Which that is like um, the the near enemy of wisdom, right? So we know everything about it, but we're actually, we're cut off of the intensity of the pain that is actually there because we can't hold that pain. So we need to, this is a good example, like how we can balance this. So because if our values actually are to show up in the world and to do what we can do to help the world to be a better place, right? We can only do that when we engage in a way that we're not completely flooded and overwhelmed. And then, of course, like wise discernment comes in, which is another really important um, quality to to train, right? Which is not we. It's not judgment, right? But it's judgment, but it's wise judgment. But since like we are, try to be like more. Non-judgmental, so I just try to use a different word altogether. So discernment, right? But the discernment says like, oh, so this is something that I can do. And I will not turn away and not in a, um, in a um, way that is harming myself. Right? So sometimes, I mean, there can be like a tendency in ourselves when we are feeling like um, very touched by something or very invested in something, that in a way part of us is kind of forcing ourselves to make us look, right? And not allowing ourselves to move away. But there is actually some harm done to ourselves through that movement of making us look. Do, Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? So then how can I be more compassionate with myself, right? So that I can still be engaged it's a sweet balance it's (laughs) and it's hard work often right yeah because you can get overwhelmed by things that need to change from your perspective yeah how do you focus in a way that doesn't take you too deep yes that's the balance yeah I like that you call it sweet balance I would call it like tough balance (laughs) (laughs) I like that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for clarifying that. Yes, very important. Yeah, yeah. A lot of psychologists would say that it's impossible for humans to not have trouble. And what they will say is that every day you make thousands and thousands of judgments below your conscious level. Everybody in this room right now are making judgments, even if they're not aware of it. Yeah, but then in your own practice, do you feel you've become less judgmental since you've you started practicing? Yes. Yes. That's true. And so that's a force to be reckoned with, right? But again, it's awareness practice, and this is, of course, like where unconscious bias comes in. It's, it's actually 
right? We just think like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not racist or I'm not discriminating. I mean, like, I'm not doing that. And yes, we do because that just goes under, under, yeah, uh, under the surface. But here's the thing is, so like they've put a lot of energy into like what can actually change unconscious bias. And there is some promising, at least like preliminary data saying like that practicing a loving kindness can change that, right? Uh, And so again, it's just awareness practice saying like, I don't have to feel bad about that I have unconscious bias because that's just in the culture that there's this, we just have that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then it said, "Is that again?" So, what is actually judgment, right? Or is that just being able to distinguish or discriminate between two states, which is something that an amoeba can do, right? So pulling away from something that's harmful, moving towards like food or something. So that we can't get out of us, but. Um, I totally agree with you. And so, and here's uh, basically, so here's what the, the Buddhist teachings say about this. They say that, um, like what is arising is, um, basically that is like momentum from the past. And often with judgments, um, at least those that we are aware of, we have done these judgments many times. So if you're thinking about, I don't know, a group, a trade, a profession, a whatever, something that you feel very judgmental about, right? So um, chances are that um, you either you're not even aware that you're doing it. So like whenever you see, like you're reminded of that particular thing that you're judging or that particular kind of person, then it just comes up. And you go like, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, right? And so in that way, you are reinforcing that. So that makes it more likely that it will come up again. And then at some point, there might be insight saying like, oh, I want to stop doing that. And then the inner critic comes in, and every time that judgment comes up, I have a mean thought about myself. Like, I shouldn't be thinking that, right? Or I shouldn't be having that. But in a way, we're still like reinforcing that, because we're still paying a lot of attention to that. And so that is that is actually and it's that is all there in the Buddhist teachings of like it's called like the the four wise efforts, right? So how are we working with these qualities that we see? And what is interesting is so the way that we work with that is again it's just mindfulness practice becoming aware of that, oh here it is again. And then can I as it arises in my awareness, can I not feed it, right? And feeding is an interesting thing, meaning bringing any energy, either in a positive or in a negative way to it. And then, of course, not acting to it. I mean, that's usually like, of course, the first step. So don't act on whatever impulses are arising. But then we still have the thoughts, right? The thoughts of like, I wanted to act or like, I just have like these judgments. And again, as as Desmond, as you were saying, like that is just inborn, but we can start to um, really not feed these judgments. And, and I don't know, it's, I definitely have... I, I, 
I don't know, like I can maybe can give you an example with my kids. Of course, that doesn't happen all the time, but depending on what mind state I'm in, I get more or less annoyed about their um, their fighting. So like right now, my youngest is 11, and then her older brother is 18 months older so they're almost like twins and they're just like fighting and nagging like all the time all the time all the time all the time and part of that and so and and depending on like what my resources are I get super annoyed about that and I have to be really careful that I don't get reactive because when I then raise my voice or yell and scream with them that doesn't help anything it's just like then we're just all upset so I have learned so I think that is part, for me at least, of the equanimity practice to, when that happens, to move in my mind into observing state, right? So just observing the noise level rising, observing, right? So and I can, to some extent, again, like, I don't want to give you parenting advice, <laughs> but it just seems that often that... Um, is the quickest and least painful way through it, right? So that actually I don't get engaged, I stay calm, um, I let them do their thing, of course, without getting too far, we have limits. <laughs> but that is something I have trained over the years, right? And that is, um, I really see that as part of my um, equanimity practice. And you might have other areas that totally push your buttons, right? Where you could see, is that maybe something that you wanted to take on? It's just something doing what we did in the meditation, just observing that. Just saying like, oh, here it is. It's arising. It's intense. I would really want this to stop. Right, it's still here, and so what we do is really like the moment by moment practice and see what happens. And then, of course, we always have wise discernment, right? So that we know at any given time when we need to step in, but not from a place of reactivity. So, because that usually, I mean, like my experience is that usually doesn't happen, that just makes things worse, right? Um, so, I don't know if that's helpful. Um, but I, yeah, but I've also have areas where I feel I was judgmental. I remember being very judgmental about something, and I just don't have that anymore. So that also feels that is really a result of my my practice. That some of the things I've really, I don't know, worked on, paid attention so many times that it just lost it, its grip. And I have other areas where I feel like, wow, like I've been doing this, just observing, not doing anything for so many years, and they're still just, every time a situation, it just comes up. And then, and then we come back to, um, to compassion, right? So not judging that, saying like, wow, yeah, those old habits are really strong, and that it's painful. It's painful to feel like so judgmental about somebody else or uh, about myself. And we come back to compassion. Yeah. 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 Mm hmm. Yes. You know, I believe sometimes we just need to be swept away 
too. And that's part of grieving, honestly. Yeah. And then how can we hold ourselves? Because we feel, right? And we actually do want to feel. And sometimes I think that's just the appropriate response in that situation. And then I think, or at least for me, the question is rather like, why are we so afraid of intense emotions? Or can we just like feel that, right? Grieve it, grieve it fully, right? And then trusting that this will end, that this is impermanent as well. And then once that wave is done, right, to see what needs to be done now. Does that make sense or...? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And and we're afraid. We're often afraid of like these these intense emotions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially like grief or shame, right? I feel a lot of shame can come up to be in a society that does things like that, right? And how to hold that and say like what is what can I do or what's my role? Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so let's do, should we do a compassion practice? Yeah, all right. (laughs) So how many of you have done, um, so just want to check so I kind of know what we're doing, have done, um, anybody has done eight-week mindful self-compassion class before? Okay, so most people have not. Okay, have anybody have done some form of compassion practice? Okay, some form of self-compassion practice? Okay. <laughs> All right, so I, and I can tailor that to you, hopefully to most of you here in the room. So um, the thinking behind self-compassion, so most people have a hard time with um, self-compassion, and there seems to be a weird twist in our thinking with like other people are deserving of compassion, but I'm not. So um, in a way, right? for most people, being compassionate with friends, with patients, with colleagues, with whatever people in the world is quite easy. Bringing the same kind of compassion to ourselves, if we're in a similar situation, that's a lot harder. So there is just a weird disconnect between um, realizing what pain is and what compassion is. Because basically what I'm saying is like, I'm so special, (laughs) right, that I don't deserve compassion. Which doesn't make any sense, right? Because that part that feels like I don't deserve self-compassion doesn't feel... I'm special, but that's exactly what we're doing in that situation, right? And um, just to play with this idea, it's like we can be, if we think we're the greatest thing on earth, that is we're making ourselves super special, but if we're thinking we are the lowest person on earth, we're also making ourselves special, (laughs) We're not saying like, oh, I'm, I'm like everybody else, right? And I feel, and I have pain, and I deserve compassion. And so, um, 
the way that we say that, or I like to say that, is that pain deserves compassion. Pain deserves compassion, and it doesn't matter whether it's your pain or my pain. If there's pain, it deserves compassion. And that is, and I think so basically, the less personal we can take our pain in that situation, the easier it is to actually to practice self-compassion. And it's still, it's super hard. Okay? So, um, one thing that can be very helpful when we're practicing self-compassion, so I just say that and before I guide us through like a mix of self-compassion and compassion practice is to give um, ourselves um, physical support. So um, as human beings, we are hardwired for supportive touch, right? So as babies, we need physical contact. We need to be held. We need to... Um, have at least a minimum in order to survive. There are some really horrible studies like from, I think, like the 1700 in Europe where they're in orphanages where they tried what happened to babies who are not, who are just being fed and changed but never touched, and they all die, right? Um, so it's like... That was later, but that was not a study. I think that was just well, that neglect. Was yeah. That's yeah. That yeah. Horrible. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. But I think I can't remember which king that was, but he was just curious what would happen, and that is what happened. So, what I'm saying, that's, that was not my point. Sorry, my point. <laughs> my point was that. <laughs> just a. <clears throat> excuse me for that. So, um,. My point was that we um, are all hardwired for supportive touch, and that is to some extent we can actually give that to ourselves. So, like, we often, I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you get, like, I don't know, bad news, you would do, like, you do this, or you, whoops, you do this, right? So, I think that is an instinct of um, touching ourselves for support. Um, but that's just my theory. So one thing we can do is, and if you've been around like these circles, you've definitely heard like doing practices, you can try to put a hand on your heart or your chest. You can see if that is, feels good. So you can, they're just different things. So sometimes basically what it does, it shortcuts the head of um, saying like, no, you're not worthy of compassion. Because the hand might just say, like, yep, here is a hand, and that supports you, that is here for you, right? So it's a reminder, right, that we're not only paying attention, but also how we're paying attention. That we want to pay kind attention, that we want to bring more kindness into this moment. And really, it can be as simple as a, as a hand on the heart, hand on the belly, you have to try that out. Um, I often notice that I will often... Um, I will often, when I drive my car, rub my arm. I just like that. <laughs> That's just nice. Right? So you can rub your arm. You can hold your own hand. Um, often, like when I'm nervous, um, like when I have a gift of talk or something, I will sit there and just sit there, have my hands in my lap, so you would not think that I'm just holding my own hand and a part of me says, like, you can do this. I got your back. You're okay. Right, um, so that that can just be um, can be sweet, and you can you can try that. All right, so let's do some practice. <clears throat> 
So find a comfortable posture. Again, if you want to sit on the floor, you want to lie down. So um, it's probably like 20 minutes now. So what is um, important, especially with compassion practice, that sometimes compassion, if we're trying to be compassionate, that we will experience the opposite. So that's quite common. So if you're just sitting there and having cynical thoughts, um, (laughs) um, you're in good company. (laughs) So at any time, as I said earlier, take care of yourself do what you need to do. And it's always, of course, just fine to just stop the meditation and, I don't know, look around or think about your shopping list, something like that. Again, just taking <clears throat> taking a moment, finding yourself in this maybe new position, in this new moment. Finding the breath in the body, feeling where the body has contact, right now. So this place, so the place of the breath, is a place you can always come back to. So you could say that you can move on the spectrum of being like more or less compassionate. 
I give, compassion feels too much or too overwhelming, then move back more towards mindfulness. So mindfulness is more, you could say, a little bit more cool. So just observing. And then compassion is more warm. And it's more like a holding or embracing. And for me, that is also wisdom to know, like when to invite in more compassion and when to invite in a little bit more mindfulness. So compassion is considered a positive quality of the mind. So I said earlier, compassion is love plus pain. And so the love component is positive. And But we can also feel just the pain. So there might be more or less love present when we're in the presence of pain. So that would be more in one school of thought that would be more empathy. So empathy is often like more focused on the pain. I feel your pain and not so much the love. While compassion practice is really has a, the focus on the love part. Like I am here for this pain. I care about this pain. And not as a practice or not as a trick or tool to make the pain go away. So the love or the compassion is not dependent on the pain going away in order for it to stay. Compassion is here because there is pain. And so, with pacing yourself, like bring attention to the area of the heart and letting yourself be touched by a pain in a friend and a loved one. Somebody who's struggling. And again, make sure you're not overwhelming yourself here. So we're just practicing so that you know how to do this practice. And allowing a response of loving care. If you like working with phrases, you could repeat a phrase like, may you be free from suffering. May you be held in compassion. 
May your pain and sorrow or may your challenge be eased. May your heart be at peace. May you be free from suffering. May you be held in compassion. May your pain and sorrow be eased. May your struggle be eased, your challenge. May your heart be at peace. And also, as you're doing this, please do not forget about yourself in this situation. So how can you take care of yourself here while practicing compassion for somebody else? So really noticing what do you need right now? If this feels too intense, maybe picturing your friend a little bit further away or stop detailing or visualizing. Maybe just leaning back a little bit if you can, if you're on a chair. So sometimes just leaning back a little. Maybe taking a deeper breath. Or maybe using like one of the supportive touch to say like, wow, this is really hard for me to hold this, to be here with this pain. And so quite naturally, like moving in and out, so knowing what you can do, so not forcing yourself and not overwhelming yourself. If you have a hard time separating from the person you're practicing for right now, then you can add in a little bit of equanimity. And equanimity has its own phrases, but equanimity is remembering that everybody is on their own life's path. And that much of that is out of your control. 
And that no matter how much you would want to help here, would want to make this person happy, you can't do that. You cannot make another person happy. And in particular, if the other person is another adult, then it can be helpful to say, like, your happiness or unhappiness depend on your actions, not on my wishes for you. So you can see how even with this practice we move in and out or back and forth. And now I want to invite us to move the attention to ourselves. <coughs> and Choosing a struggle, a stress, a pain in your life right now. Again, not overwhelming yourself, but choosing something that definitely has an impact on you. And sometimes, like, I've read a number of different phrases to you, but you can also just use one phrase. So Tara Brock has this one phrase that I love that she says, I care about this pain. I care about this pain, which you can use for everybody, (laughs) including yourself, because then it's really about the pain and not about who has the pain. So either using this, repeating this slowly to yourself, or you can work with the other phrases. And again, it's the phrases, they should resonate for you. If they don't, then don't use them or rephrase them. May I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. 
May I be held in compassion. May I be held in compassion. May my pain and sorrow, may my stress and challenges be eased. May my pain and sorrow, may my challenges and stress be eased. May my heart be at peace. May my heart be at peace. And again, if that feels right, maybe putting a hand on the heart or your belly, or both, or holding your own hand. Maybe silently repeating one or several of these phrases and really feeling into where it's landing or what is in the way, if anything. And a lot about compassion practice is the acknowledging, the kind acknowledging, like, yes, this hurts, yes, this is painful. We do that for somebody else, and we do that for ourselves. Just acknowledging the truth that no matter <clears throat> how much we might wish this might should be different, this did hurt, or this is painful. And as best as you can, letting that sink into the body. Knowing that pain and stress is not a mistake, but a sign of being human, having a human body and a human heart. We do get hurt.
And then if that feels right to you, you can now open the circle and you can practice compassion for other beings, for all beings, or you can move it more back to just love, just wishing all beings well and all beings may be happy and safe and free from suffering, including yourself. May all beings be safe and protected from internal and external harm. May all beings be truly happy and deeply peaceful. May all beings find a way to live their life with ease and have peace in their heart. And then in another minute or so, we're coming to an end, we'll be coming to an end. So maybe feeling the breath more again or doing whatever you need to do to close this practice. And here's a poem by Mark Nepo. It's called Accepting This. Yes, it is true. 
I confess I have thought great thoughts and sung great songs, all of it rehearsal for the majesty of being held. The dream is awakened when thinking I love you, and life begins when saying I love you, and joy moves like blood when embracing others with love. My efforts now turn from trying to outrun suffering to accepting love wherever I can find it. Stripped of causes and plans and things to strive for, I have discovered everything I could need or ask for is right here in flawed abundance. We cannot eliminate hunger, but we can feed each other. We cannot eliminate loneliness, but we can hold each other. We cannot eliminate pain, but we can live a life of compassion. Ultimately, we are small living things awakened in the stream, not gods who carve out rivers. Like human fish, we are asked to experience meaning in the life that moves through the gill of our heart. Like human fish, we are asked to experience meaning in the life that moves through the gill of our heart. There is nothing to do and nowhere to go. Accepting this, we can do everything and go anywhere. again taking time to transition feeling the ripples of this practice so we will be moving into another period of um, silent walking before we come back in here. So um, a 20-minute walking period. Um, so we will ring you back in um, and we'll be starting back in here at um, 3.35. Okay, so... Enjoy your walking. If you, rather, if your body is asking to just lie down or do something else other than walking, of course, feel free to do that too. So, thank you.
I'm just looking at the CEU sh thing here, and they, it says, like, please, at the end of the day, let people know they have to sign out for in order to get CEUs. So for those of you who are getting CEUs, just on your way out, make sure you're signing that out. Um, and, yeah, I mean, at this point, um, I think we can just have a... Um, a little bit more of a discussion about um, what feels relevant or what are your your questions or where are you at with um, uh, what we have been covering or what you've been practicing today so far. So, Sorry. yes, please. Outside, they have a um, like where you signed in. You signed in, mm -hmm. then same thing on the on the table. It's outside when you come out here. Yes, I I believe so. Yes, yes? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I had a bunch of questions about equanimity. Okay. And I didn't want to take the discussion in a, you know, an uninteresting direction for the group. Mm -hmm. Can you hear, or should we use the mic? <clears throat> mic maybe is... Let's use the mic, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is it on? Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of uh, thoughts about the word equ equanimity and when Amari brought up her questions, um, n not intending to be political, but using the facts of children being incarcerated, it um, brought up some, it was some of the same questions I had. Because equanimity, I, when you use that word, I started thinking of, for instance, sanguine. Are you familiar with that? It's a like a personality descriptor of like contentedness, I guess. And... Um, and but it's hard for me to distinguish. I want to have stillness in my heart and my brain, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to accept outrageous things that are happening mm -hmm. in the world or to, or to me uh, passively and uh, accept them without um, without resistance. I guess, mm -hmm. and so resistance then is. A conflict, and I was hoping you could help to clarify for me how I can remain engaged and um, not um, put my head in the sand about certain things, um, but still try to acquire or achieve the the peace in my own heart and not have the fluttery feeling in my stomach or however it is for other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, that was my you. first question. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Does that resonate with other people? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think we have to make another, like, or another, or one metaphysical um, discursion here. Um, I mean, first of all, maybe that's not possible, what you're wishing for. So just to put that out there, maybe that's not... Um, Maybe there is no such thing as perfectly equanimous in the face of... I mean, you, you all know, like, the, the, the 
um, like the the quip of Jack Cornfield with the the family dog. You don't know that? Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> uh, no, I'll I'll see it. I think I have that actually in my. Um, Oh, I actually need to uh, get my charger. But, I mean, basically, it's just so nicely put, but basically it says, like, if you get up every morning and just being content with your food and if you don't get upset by the news and you're just happy, like, if your loved ones are coming home. And so it's like this long list of things, right? And you're like, oh, I want that. If you can go to sleep at night without taking any medication, any medications or having a drink, right? These kind of things. If you can, just as somebody yells at you, you just have a moment and then you let go. I said, then you're probably the family dog, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he goes through this whole list and you go like, yeah, I want that, I want that, and I want that. It's just like, oh, well, that might not be... I don't want to be a dog. You don't want to be a dog, right? Yes. Um, actually, I'm just thinking because I do have another... Um, so honestly, what I'm thinking is, um, or this is, this is my, I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm just saying like, this is my take at this point in my life with the knowledge and experience that I have. And I think we all have to find our own, our own truth, our own way with this is, but I truly believe in order to live in this life with some form of equanimity we need a bigger container and we need some help oh (laughs) okay (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you okay let me just plug that in so while i'm doing this you can think about like what's help in your life and what i mean with help is like help (laughs) um which might come in very different forms. Sorry, I'm just moving around here. So again, it's just it seems to be the day that I'm quoting Jack a lot. <laughs> um, he's very present here in this halls and everywhere. Um, and so, um, some of you might know this story, but at some point when he was working with a therapist who worked with uh, torture victims. And uh, the woman just said, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. This is destroying me. I can't listen to these stories of just the most inhumane things happening to people. And, just, and she was burned out and completely overwhelmed. And what Jack suggested to her is to call in help. Help. 
just saying like, yeah, this is too big for you to hold. You should not be holding this by yourself as one person. This is a bigger container. This is about like the story of being human. And he asked her to, in her therapy room, to put up a table with symbols of all world religions and and spiritual uh, paths. So to put up, I mean, like from really like to, to call in the help and to call in the help to say like, I don't really care where you get help from here, but this is beyond my scope. This is, this is beyond being human. And, um, and that always struck with me. It seemed to help the therapist. And I've been kind of trying to incorporate that at, at some point, right? Because like we as individuals should never be holding something like this because we can't. Like we're just small in that way, right? And we're we're we don't understand it. So much of that is out of our understanding, like what people do to each other, completely beyond un- understanding. Or maybe we have, maybe we have done things, right? That we've been in states, like sometimes it's really like states, right? Or we have been hurt so much that we just wanted to hurt back, or we have hurt back, right? So it's it's so deep and it's so complex that. How can we stay present with that without disengaging and just moving away? And I think we all have to find really our own way to see, like, if I decide I don't want to disengage, I want to be there for people in need, right? For myself, for my own pain, right? Um, Then I have to be bigger than this. And this really comes back to... um, you might not have had that experience yourself, but people like what the mystics talk about, what people talk about often or when they have like, I don't know, experiences on like long meditation retreats or sometimes when people take psychedelics, when they say like, wow, I know that ultimately everything is okay or that ultimately we're all one. And having had even like glimpses of that can bring such a profound peace to the heart, right? That then with that knowledge, that like that being backed up in that way can help us then to face whatever atrocities or pains or whatever that is we need to face. But without that, I think we're lost. If we're thinking, it's just me who has to do this, to carry this, I don't think we can do that. And we, I don't think we should be doing that, honestly. But there is this, like, we need, we, need, we need a backup. I think it's, again, it's just like we're taking ourselves too importantly or too seriously or thinking, like, I have to be the strong one, the holder of all of this. I don't think that's the truth. Yeah. But again, that's that's for some people it's more easily accessible than for others. And I mean, like it doesn't have to be like God, right, or whatever you call that. For some people, it's nature. I mean, that is just some that was actually part of my preparation for today because it's so wonderful out here, right? And I'm I'm always struck by this idea, and I feel it in myself that I feel separate from nature. Right? I say, like, I walk through nature, like, hello. <laughs> right? And there, there is just something, I think we have, for whatever reason, we feel often so profoundly separate from everything else. 
And so how can we invite that back in, which I think we really do as part of our practice, to invite ourselves back into the folds of, again, whatever you call that. And just like maybe the earth, the ground, um, God, spirit, great spirit, I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. But I think it's useful for our, or maybe necessary for our sanity to have some form of that. Yeah. Are you familiar with the quote, happiness is a direction, not a place? No, but that makes sense. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I was wondering about oh the um, discernment and the the different um, tools the um, tools of the heart and if if equanimity was sort of <clears throat> the vehicle maybe for happiness the, yeah to get in the, to go in that direction I don't know I think it helps yeah yeah. Well, thanks for letting me dominate <laughs> the <you>. questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Chris. For compassion fatigue, for compassion fatigue, do you see um, other remedies besides uh, one of the things that you said uh, to think of was, I can see your pain or I can understand your pain? Mm hmm. Or one for self-compassion, which is, I have pain. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there other remedies for compassion fatigue? Mm, Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, compassion fatigue. I mean, first of all, um, there are so... Some people say that the word compassion fatigue is a misnomer. That because, like, what we're actually burning out on is, is empathy... So it's so, and again, like this is, it depends on like what you call what and how you define things. But um, so people around the um, researcher Tanya Singer and Mathieu Ricard, so they've done a lot of research on this and they say like, well, empathy is that what is um, transmitted through the mirror neurons, right? So when you stub your toe, I flinch. Right, so that actually, in the in the first thing, that is not necessarily, um, it's not compassion. It is just like I go like, right. So that kind of feeling, right. Um, so, and animals also have have that to some extent. And but that is just an empathy. Is that I feel your pain, and but I feel your pain is not the same as compassion, and it gets complicated because we usually experience compassion and empathy together. So I don't want to say like, oh, empathy is bad. We actually need empathy, right, in order to get our attention, right. So we need to be able to see that this is painful. But to feeling the full extent of the pain that the other person is feeling is actually not helpful for the person nor for ourselves. And then if we are, especially when we're in caregiving roles or if we're in, in the healthcare system, right? If we are feeling like every pain that walks through the door, I mean, no wonder we burn out. That's not helpful. So we have to have skills to be able to turn the pain part 
down some, not off, but down, right? And then the compassion part, which is like this, the, as I said that in the meditation, um, that the compassion is, a, is considered a positive um, state or a positive quality. And there is some MRI data that backs that up. Right, so that if people in a brain scan who have a lot of experience practicing compassion, practice compassion, a part of their brain lights up that is associated with positive emotions. If they're just focusing on the pain part and just feeling the pain of the other person, then the pain, the emotional pain circuit lights up. Lights up. So that's just interesting to know. So it's like really like when I say like compassion is love plus pain, it's that's really like that's the correlate in the brain that we're seeing. So just to know that can be very helpful. And to know that again, like um, sometimes we feel like I need to feel my patients or my clients' pain, right? Otherwise I'm not compassionate enough. And I've had that... Um, uh, with uh, students who whose equanimity practice gets stronger, at some point questioning whether they uh, got indifferent because it stopped hurting so much. <laughs> Which is, I, I love that, right? It's just like, oh, did I get indifferent? Says, no, do you still care? Oh yeah, I still care deeply, deeply. But it doesn't hurt so much anymore. That is actually a sign of equanimity. I still really care, right? But without like the 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 hurt, and to and then really just things like what we did in the beginning. I think that is a really useful practice to um, keep deepening the um, like setting boundaries, right? So you set boundaries with like your the thoughts about the past or the future. And you can set boundaries with people's pain, right? And, and, and again, if you just think about it, is that useful right now that you sit here and are in pain about somebody else's pain? Is that helping them in any way? <laughs> it's not. It maybe makes it even worse, right? If that person knew that you're just here on a beautiful day and that you're just in pain about their pain, they might not want that. Or that might them actually make them feel guilty. It's just like, no, no, I don't want you to be that. Right? So then, and again, it's just like, it's, it's more complicated than that. That sounds easy. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. But it's the, it's again like, can we allow ourselves? Because sometimes it feels also out of loyalty because that might be somebody we love dearly. We feel like I need to feel pain or I need to feel bad because they're feeling bad or I cannot be happy while they're suffering so there's like often like some thinking around that and to really like with wise discernment to put that to the test and say like is that true is that true and um, yeah so right so if you're um, notice that you're just carrying other people's pain around and definitely beyond the encounter with a person. Like, first of all, can you practice compassion for yourself? Just saying like, wow, yeah, that's painful. That's painful to just be in that 
situation right now, right? So that part of self-compassion can always be helpful, just noticing when you're in pain yourself. And then the wisdom component can say, is, is that helpful right now? Or am I just... And, and again, it's like this is a, a deep and long-standing practice that we have to do, but we can really ask right now, do I need to carry that right now? Is that helping that person? And then to see each of us individually which practices help us to to transition from from the workday or to transition from a visit or to transition and afterwards to say like, okay, and now I put this down. I don't need to carry that right now. And there are many different ways and um, thinking like from ACT or CBT <laughs> that can be done with these um, burdens or, or thoughts. Is that helpful? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And you just helped me to check off like one of the other things on the CEU list, Chris. Thank you. (laughs) But a narcissist have the brain compassion pathways light up since they're they're unable to feel compassion, right? So would they have that brain circuitry? Oh, that's too complex. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if that's what what happens with narcissists. Yeah, I, I mean, they definitely can feel some compassion. It's not that they're completely void of the compassion, but I can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Can you speak more about? I love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> speak more about the rehashing and rehearsing pattern. Uh huh. Yes, yes. <laughs> no. Uh huh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else suffers from rehashing or rehearsing? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. In company. Um, so it's a practice. It really is a practice. And the first step is be- becoming aware of it. And then, honestly, I think the, and it gets better over time, I have to also say that, because basically what we do in the meditation, a form of meditation, is a lot, a lot of the time we're just doing that, we're interrupting that for a moment, right? And so what happens, you sit in meditation, and then at some point you notice, like, I'm not here, I'm thinking about X, Y, Z, right? So, and then in that moment, most of the time, it doesn't matter at all what you're thinking about, so a lot of the um, like basic steps and the first really like long time of practice is like don't even get engaged with thinking because so sometimes the people who are a little bit more like CBT trained, so cognitive behavioral therapy, it's just then you start engaging with the thoughts and you think like, ooh, you can stay, but you need to go, right? These are good thoughts. Those are bad thoughts, right? Or I mean like what we do, like all the things we do with thoughts are why am I thinking this? And let me just think this through and then I can and let this go, which of course never happens, right? So basically, as soon as you engage with the thought, you're lost. 
So what we want to practice over and over is just saying, thank you, not now, thank you, not now, thank you, not now. And doing that over and over and over. And then at some point, you will also start to be able to do that during the day. And But it's something, honestly, it's, it's often humbling how long that takes. But there is a moment, um, the more you really practice formal mindfulness, meaning meditation, because that's really mostly what you do, <laughs> just noticing that you're not here, is the more like lucid moments you will have during the day. Where you go like suddenly like, oh, wait. Like, oh, I'm here? <laughs> right, I'm here. Instead of just being lost in thoughts, which is what we are most of the time. And to some extent then also is just, um, honestly, sometimes we just need to keep hearing ourselves over and over and over and over until we can't listen to ourselves anymore. <laughs> Seriously, now I've had that on retreats, just like going through same loop and same loop and same loop, and my mind was just like... <gasps> Doing that, like, it's just, and at some point, I was just like, oh, just, ugh, I'm so over that, right? I can't, I, I get sick if I think that one more time, right? And then, so, it's some things that just need to, yeah, need the time, like, to, to run its course, right? But just important to remember that trying to push it away also keeps it in place, so non-attention is the way to go, right? So you know that with, maybe, I don't know, like, but like with children, if they can't get positive attention, they will make sure they get negative attention, right? So um, attention will, so either in a positive or in a negative way, will keep the things in place. And the more you can say like, okay, okay, <laughs> the better, yeah. And and then at the other thing is also like with the compassion component, it's just like, yeah, have compassion for that you have a human brain. It's really hard to have a human brain. <laughs> and it's wonderful. It's wonderful at the same time, right? Because that's the other thing is, I don't know, anybody also loves their thoughts? Yes? Or at least some of them? Isn't that wonderful, right? Like what we can think, right? Dr. Seuss, right? <laughs> the things we can think. Yeah, yeah, please. On that same subject, and speaking of children, how do you help children that may not have the capacity to really ignore their thoughts, uh-huh. but um, talk to them about, okay, you, this is the example that happens to my son all the time, you know you're getting a cupcake at 4 o'clock at that birthday party, and your whole world is about that cupcake mm-hmm. the entire day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just cool. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you help a, a child in, that's in that, I'm not good with children and mindfulness. <laughs> I have to say, now people always think you have three children yourself. I should be good at that, but I'm actually not good at teaching children. So I don't have that. There are amazing um, teachers and books who teach that, like how to actually talk to them about mindfulness. So, and since my kids are refusing to practice mindfulness because that's mommy's work thing, so they're not don't want anything to do with that. They're like my only weapon is I try to to live it, to live by example. So, and I, I hope that like over over the years that will seep in. Yeah, they're actually no, but no, actually uh, down in the bookstore they have a whole section of books 
that are um, that are around working working with kids, and some of them are also really nice picture books, right? So that is something that um, to just flip through them to like to especially I like said how to work with intense emotions and to know that they come and they go and they make these glitter jars like which I think those are really good for us too to know like oh like our emotions are stirred up and all we need to do is we need to sit down and we'll all settle down that's another way to explain urge surfing right <laughs> so just wait until like all the glitter has settled yeah thank you yeah yeah yes please Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Is it okay to sometimes just If you right now would call in like your wisest call in your wise inner woman. You, the wisest part of yourself. What would she say? She would say you need to take care of yourself. Uh huh. Why? Because you're not going to be uh, much help to anybody if you're getting absorbed by um, by another person or situation. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I think you already have your answer. It is okay. And it actually, yes, you are not much of a help if you're like really drained of energy and resources, right? And so um, what I would like to invite you is to find the fierce wise woman inside of you. Because she knows what to do. And she knows how to say no. And to ask, like, maybe the part that feels more, like, obliged to always give, 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 to just to step aside, maybe a little bit, right? So that that other part can be there, too. Because I think, or what I hear from you, is, like, you're already at a point where you need to do something because it's not sustainable the way it is. Is that... Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, that is really up to you, right? But the thing is, and this is, thank you for bringing this up, because that is a really important point, is that you know your answers. You have your answers. I don't have your answers. You already have your answers for what, you're, what you need to know, right? So your work is to allow the other parts to step out of the way, Right, so you can find that, and when you find that, there will be like somebody said that earlier. Used the word relief, right? So there is a relief of saying the truth. Like this is what needs to be done, right? And um, so I think just my job is to encourage you in this work and point you back to yourself, 
so that you're not thinking like I have any answers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Do you want to hold that? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I would get to the stillness place, and all this wonderful information would bubble up, uh-huh. and and I'd go, "Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you want me to do?" <laughs> and even though there had been a part of me that had been thinking that all along, yes, I um, it was so clear and so um, just so clear. There's just like, no, this is it. This is it. Mm-hmm. And so then the human part of me just had to have the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it is, for me, it only comes when I can sit in the stillness. The stillness, yeah. Or in nature. I'll get it when yeah. I walk in nature right. sometimes. Right, yeah. Um, the trees will talk to me. Yes. And, and I go, really? <laughs> I say that like, really? <laughs> yeah, this is what's next. Like, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. It was that trust, the emergence, because yeah. uh-huh. uh, it's like... Could it be that good? Could it be uh-huh. that different and magical? Yes, it can. Yeah. Yeah. So that for me has been very helpful around setting boundaries and um, doing what I needed to do for self-care. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's again, I think it comes back to the question of compassion that we feel we're not worthy of compassion. Right, and so that we're to trust our own worthiness, and actually that it's needed. Like self-care is needed, so we can keep doing uh, what we're we're called to to do. And so, and and this is um, something that, and again, like so, if that model speaks to you, it can be helpful. But like, it can sometimes be helpful to see like that we have like all these different parts in us. And they have different roles and different opinions, right? So there might be the part that things like, oh, like I have to be there for everybody and I can't go to bed before like everything is done or like whatever that internal voice is. And that um, voice or that part might get a lot of airtime and kind of overpower like the other parts that 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 know, that know that this is too much or this is... Um, that, that we are worthy. And so sometimes, if I, or at least like for myself, to talk in that way can be helpful because then I can um, address parts of myself that I might have a hard time addressing because that, that's just a part of me. That's not like who I am, right? So, and I, I think like we all do that to some point. And when we say like, well, part of me wants to stay home and part of me wants to go out for dinner, right? And then so then, but who gets to say? And those are, of course, like those are small matters, right? But they're like big matters. And then <clears throat> which part gets a lot of airtime and which part gets a lot of the say and, and to make the decisions? And then what parts feel feel resentful and not listened to and... I mean, pushed or bullied or, I mean, whatever that is. Um, so sometimes it can be nice to have a little, like, uh, internal family powwow <laughs> and see what's needed. Yeah. 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 Like, maybe one or two more questions and then we're... Yeah. Um, I still feel a little... Some, the equanimity was new concept to okay. me in terms mm-hmm. of... I guess not the concept, but 
attaching that word to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel a little confused about how wisdom, mindfulness, compassion, and equanimity <laughs> fit together. Yeah. And when you say the word equanimity practice, I don't quite get what that means. Okay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Because I get the mindfulness practice yes. and the compassion practice. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, um, and I have a little bit of a linear mind, so I'm trying to, yeah, anyhow. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, um, so to start with the equanimity practices, so the, these four uh, heart qualities, so loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, so they're called the four Brahma Viharas, the four heavenly abodes, the four immeasurables, they have all kinds of names and there are lots of workshops and classes and retreats about any of those four. Actually, not so much about equanimity if I think about it, but definitely like loving kindness and compassion. Those are, and then James Barras and does a lot with joy. (laughs) So we have these three covered well. Um, And so they have very um, practical practices attached to them. And the practice of equanimity is reflecting on the fact that um, things are changing all the time and a lot of things are out of your control. Way more things than you want to. I'm just making assumptions. <laughs> um, and to have like this, this bigger perspective. Right, so equanimity, and so like we can reflect on this in small situations. So how can we bring more space, more uh, perspective into this? Another equanimity practice is also I will. We don't have time to do that today, but it is the practice of um, different names: choiceless awareness, open sky. Um, I think those are the two main names in our tradition. So if you go on the website or if you go to Dharma Seed or just Google those two practices, you will come up with a lot of different guided meditations in that area. And what we do in this is really like we are working with, so as I said earlier, the capacity of the mind to just focus on something really small or just zoom out and focus on something really big. And... um, Just somebody um, <laughs> showed this to me. So what what do you see? You can't see that. Okay. Well, that's oh, you don't see anything, right? Okay. All right. Um, what I'll do is I just walk around. I'll show you. Oh yeah, I can actually do that here. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So. What do you see? Happy and sad. Happy and sad, right? Okay. All right. So, of course, so what you don't see is this. The paper. The paper. Right? So, and this is, this is really like what choiceless awareness practices or mindfulness practice. So, what the mind does is it focuses on details. Right? And we focus maybe on the happy, on the sad. But... Actually, what this is, is a paper, right? So it's like, it's the bigger, it's like what's bigger, what is behind or beyond that. 
And that is part of equanimity practice. Because when we can see that, right, we can really move more out of the nitty-gritty details of whatever the mind is obsessed with in any given moment. how they all relate together. So it's like, hmm, like my elevator speech on like how they all weave in together. Um, no, but let, let me let me let me try. Like my mind, the girl's like, hmm. Let me let me try uh, see if I can make sense of this um, in a more succinct way. My mind loves succinct things. <laughs> um, so the mindfulness. So for some people, or a lot of people, mindfulness is the entry point. For other people, compassion is the entry point, right? So response to suffering or mindfulness is just being aware of what is here. And then they start to immediately influence each other. So when I start to see what is here, compassion might arise, right? Or joy might arise. And what I start to see when I hold steady with the mindfulness, I start to see that suffering is a fact of life. It's not a mistake when we suffer. We see that things are impermanent. They change all the time. Unless we want them to change, then they don't. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the third one is that... um, a lot of the stuff that we're observing is actually not personal. We take it personally, but it's actually not, right? So suffering is a fact of human life that's not personal, right? Then we are hurt when somebody lies to us or says something mean, that's not personal. We take it personally, but that we're hurt when somebody is mean, that's not personal, right? So we see things less as a solid self or an identity, these to see these three factors more clearly, that is called developing wisdom. So the more we see that, and then what we see is the more we see that, we see how we are all stuck, right, in, like sometimes we see the ruminations of the mind and we can't stop it. Sometimes we see in other people how they are stuck. The more I see that in myself, the more I see that in other people, and that really brings in more compassion. Just like, oh, yeah. Like it's so, it can just like break your heart to see like how much of our suffering is self-made, honestly, Honestly, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And that can just break your heart to say, like, wow, you c- could be so happy if you wouldn't be so stuck in seeing, insisting to see the world the way you see it right now. Like, happiness is right here, right in front of your nose. It's right here, and you can't see it because you're so focused on seeing that one thing, right? And that is wisdom, and it brings in more compassion. And then what we see more and more is that really that, like, on a deep level, there is no separation, that we are all the same, which then, of course, makes our wanting to help and wanting to serve really come from this deep place of not like, ooh, like, I am the person who is well and who is giving some help to those in need, but just saying, like, no, your pain is my pain, Right. As long as you're suffering, I'm suffering. But also to see, to not be wedded to like, not all life is suffering, right? But to also say like, right now, I'm fine. I'm just fine. I don't feel my 
Achilles heel right now. So it's just like, whoa. So this is a moment where I don't feel that. Right? And to allow, so it has a lot to do with flexibility too. So like our minds need to have it a certain way. Life needs to be a certain way, right? So that is where like um, the anticipation comes in, right? And unmet expectations. I need to have things unfold a particular way. And when they're not, then I'm suffering. And to just say like, well, let's see. To be more open, and that's really a quality of, of equanimity too, that I don't have to have things to be my way. And again, that gives so many more moments to surprise and awe and mystery. <laughs> um, does that make more sense? Yeah? It did good. <laughs> <laughs> so my mind is just going like, okay, so like I could shorten that and then put this together <laughs> I hope at some point I will come up with a graph that just or a flow sheet or something so thank you um, so um, let's just take another moment so I'm inviting us all in back into into silence And again, just for the last time in our group here together. Feeling yourself here, part of this group. Our community, our sangha for today. And so our experience in any given moment with all these qualities is um, another Jack quote or another. <laughs> I once asked Jack about this, if he thought that um, whether mindfulness and compassion or loving kindness are the same thing or if they're two separate things, because he often uses the word loving awareness now which really points to them arising together. But he used the image of a soup. He says, like, well, like we're experiencing life with as, as a soup in every given moment. And we are very aware sometimes that some of the ingredients are too uh, predominant and some are missing. And so depending on the circumstances, we're 
want to have a soup that has a lot of different ingredients that all contribute to the wonderful taste of a soup, that soup in that moment. And so um, I want to also invite us now to, if that is available, to maybe appreciate yourself for showing up today as you are. That you set aside this day of practice. So many other ways you could have spent this day. You chose to do this. So I thank you for that, and I hope you also can thank yourself for that. And then maybe acknowledging other people who made this possible for you. Maybe you have people at home who took over some of your responsibilities or duties today. Or somebody working your shift today. And then also appreciating the people who work here who make this possible, including our volunteers who help this day to run smoothly. And so I want to offer the goodness that comes out of our practicing to the benefit of all beings everywhere, without exceptions. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And may all beings know happiness and the causes of happiness. So thank you all so much for coming. So um, if you want to be on my email list, you can put your name outside. If you can also, if you're either on Facebook or on Instagram, you can also find me there if you like that. Um, And yeah, I hope I'll see you again in some form at some point. And I wish you a wonderful rest of your Sunday. So, thank you. And if you have more questions right now, I'm... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.